seen the jammiest World Superbike win in history last weekend, but Jake Dixon's double or knock kill was certainly no fluke. Welcome to episode 18 of Bike Live. Let's go! Yes, it's one. Welcome to episode 18 of Bike Live here on Motorsport 101 and another weekend which proved that we know next to nothing about the world of motorcycle racing as four races across two oh. countries brought two shocking outcomes, um, both at Mizano and at Knock Hill, one of the most eventful World Superbike races in recent memory in race one. So a guy start the final lap a mile back in fourth and still win the thing. Um, before a guy take a victory in race two, it was his first for nearly three years in the World Superbike Championship. It was that kind of weekend at the Mizano World Circuit last weekend. We will cover all of that over the next two hours. We will also talk about the shock at Knock Hill as Jake Dixon took his first two victories in the British Superbike Championship, upsetting the odds as many of the championship contenders hit problems, one of which ended up in hospital. We'll also talk about all of the big silly season moves as Cal Crutchlow confirms his future at MotoGP's LCR team for two more years. And we'll look ahead to this weekend as MotoGP arrives at another of its jewels in the crown, the Dutch TT at Assen. All of that to come here on episode 18 of Bike Live on Motorsport 101. Um, uh, and joining me for this week, he's missed his last two um, Motorsport 101 tapings, but he's with us once again for Bike Live. Um, Andre Harrison, um, I was going to introduce you and talk about you looking to uh, regain power here on Motorsport 101, but it seems you spent most of your week trying to do that. Um, the Revolution War turns out will not be televised. Um, <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's, been, it's been a struggle the last couple of weeks. Shout out to my staffing manager for continuing to screw me over. Um, but uh, I can confirm I will be back on next week's, on next week's show. Um, so um, brace yourselves for that. Um, I'm going to reestablish my Reich. Um, so <laughs> that's been fun. But yes, uh, for some reason, Bike Live always seems to be available for me. So uh, yeah, here I am. <laughs> yeah, 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 come on. Then. Tell the listeners. As I say, you've spent most of your week trying to regain power, but it's not been the power of Motorsport 101. <laughs> it's been the power of your bookies. <laughs> we, uh, My shop has had three power cuts in the space of five days. It's been... It's been a disaster. Like honestly, like what was funny about it was the first time it happened. It was was on. I think it was last Saturday. Was the first one, and I, if I remember correctly, like I, it was literally as I, as I plugged my Amazon Fire TV stick into one of my sockets. Like two seconds later, the whole shop went down. Like oh shit, what have I done? <laughs> I, I thought it was. Me and and I got some of my regulars in in the shop rinsed me for that one. Um, I got roasted for it, but it turns out there was a local area power cut, so about thirty odd shops in the area had gone down, um, just dotted around the joint basically. Um, so it, I I was sitting basically in a hot sweaty back office for for three hours while they put the power back on because the aircon had shut down, which wasn't fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, not like it was the hottest week of the year or anything. No, no, not, not like it was the hottest June week on record. No. Um, 30 degrees of no aircon with a 50-inch plasma TV five feet from my head. Um, and trust me, those things give off a lot of heat. You'd be surprised. Um, so that was fun. And um, turns out it happened again. Like, there was two yesterday. In me. Like, I, I wasn't working yesterday. But um, there was there was two in there um, on the Wednesday. Apparently one at 4 and then one again at like 8 p.m., and the whole the whole joint had gone down and my other manager hadn't got home till 11 o'clock even though we close at 10 just making sure everything was working again so 
it's been carnage in my bookies um, in this one, and not particularly a fun time, given it's been Royal Ascot this week. I was week. about to say, yeah, it's been one of the most yeah. popular horse racing festivals in the world <laughs> taking place this yeah, week. So, so, so not ideal, to say the least, but um, here we are. We survived. Hopefully, my, my shop will still be in one piece when I'm back at work on Saturday, but... Uh, who knows at this point? <laughs> yeah, the scenes when um, a bike ride taping is actually welcome relief um, to, to what's been going on uh, elsewhere this week. Um, in terms of where you can find us, um, and we're not talking about steaming hot bookies with no electricity, you can find us on Facebook, uh, <laughs> facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. We're on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. Uh, we are on the internet. Our website is motorsport101.net, but also on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. Motorsport Dre, where... We have hit a milestone this week. We've hit 100 videos on the Motorsport 101 channel, even though I'm not sure I should be celebrating that, given that our title is Motorsport 101. It's kind of a weird <laughs> anticlimax on that one. But, um, yeah, it's, we, put, we put our 100 video up um, as of yesterday. Um, we were recording this on Thursday the 22nd, so it's been up for probably a couple of days by the time you're hearing this. But uh, it was a Dre brief on Andrea De Vizioso, so check that one out as well. So 100 video on there. We've probably seen a channel update um, regarding that. So that'll be the true video 101 from me coming soon. But uh, yeah, we have we have we have we have content on there, and I promised I'd, I'd get back into into making more videos soon. So uh, stick around. I've been a bit neglectful to YouTube recently, but. Uh, Hopefully, we'll be bouncing back on that soon. <laughs> YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. As I mentioned, our website is motorsport101.net, where RJ's first column is available for you to read right now. Um, if you head over there, if you like us so much that you want to back us financially, you can on Patreon. Um, where for just a few more days, you can back us for $3 a month and earn early access to Bike Live and to Motorsport 101. So get that while you can. Uh, right, let's talk World Superbikes then. We'll come on to British Superbikes and the shock and knock kill uh, a little bit later on, but we'll talk about events at Mizano, which were pretty shocking in their own right, to be honest, um, at the weekend, Dre. I mean, at the start of the weekend, Saturday morning, we saw Tom Sykes blast his way to another pole um, with Jonathan Ray taking second on the grid, Kawasaki with another comfortable one too, the two Ducatis third and fourth on the grid, but that didn't even give us a slight inkling to the mayhem that was going to follow a couple of hours later. Um, no, not even close. Um, I thought it was just going to be a conventional weekend where maybe both Kawasaki's will, 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 will clear themselves as you can, and then we might, if we're lucky, get a fight between the two Kawasaki's for the win. I was I was thinking Jonathan might probably win by a nose in that dogfight, and I thought, well, it's going to be pretty straightforward. Wrong, Dre! Wrong again! Uh, you, you think I would have gotten used to this by now, but no, here we are. Um, this race was anything but that, and it was all over the place, and, well, we'll get into it now in, a, in, a, in, 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 in more detail, but... Um, yeah, let's just say Sonobi wasn't joking when he had a guy that was four plus seconds out of contention and then, yeah, still finds a way to win it on the final lap. It's It was that sort of weekend. Yeah, Greg Haynes said in commentary that he cannot remember a dry World Superbike race providing as much incident as that um, for a long, long time. And, and I have to agree with him. I, I can't remember any race like that that's had so much incident, which wasn't interfered with by weather at some stage. Um, and we have to start, Dre, with the guy that really kind of made this all happen, really. Michael Vandermark, who started on the second row of the grid um, for Yamaha. And you could see right from the first couple of corners that Michael Vandermark really meant this, sliced his way past Sykes in the first couple of corners and then passed Jonathan Ray soon after for good measure. 
yeah, it was like five or six episodes, and I was like, wait a minute, he's not going away, is he? Um, <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, this isn't this isn't the form book. Um, yeah, Michael Vandermott was um, he had an electric start from from I think it was sixth form the grid, and again he was passing people. He he led that race for the majority of it with with real confidence, and it, it was incredibly impressive to see him do that. And like he, we've not really seen Vandermark in in control of a race like this. He's had he's had moments like maybe an Assen. Where he's where he's led briefly, but um, he's never really come that close to a race win before without crashing. Well, he did kind of did in this case too, but like that was the most comfortable I've seen Vandermark leading a, a world superbike race so far in his in his short mo- in his short top flight career. So for that for him to be doing that and to do it with such confidence and vigor was very impressive indeed. Yeah, like you say, he's, he's had these moments in his, his World Superbike career where he's just, he looks inspired. Like his very first World Superbike weekend, race two uh, on his debut at Phillip Island, where he famously led um, in 2015 on the Honda, um, which was sensational. As you say, he fought for the win in race one last year on the Honda uh, in World Superbikes uh, at Aston at his home round. And then again here, where he just seems to have these, these, these one-off races where he suddenly finds an extra gear from somewhere. Um, and like I say, his aggression in those early laps when he just basically sliced up the two Kawasaki's, carved them up, yeah. um, just took took Sykes into the first couple of corners and then passed racing after it. And like you say, it wasn't as if the Kawasaki's were swarming all over the back of him um, at the front oh. of that leading group. They were they were happy to work very very hard to match him for pace uh, in that first part of the race. And and as you say, we've seen in previous years with Michael Vandermark when he's been looking so good at the front, there's always been a bitter sting in the tail for him. And as it turns out, there was one here, but unfortunately, not his fault. Yeah, when in near identical fashion to Donington Race One, Vandermark's rear tire completely comes off the rim and down the very fast back part of the track. Um, down he goes, and it was an awful accident. And he was very lucky that Jonathan Ray didn't run him over. Um, um, very, very high speed accident. I think you're going a good 120 miles an hour at least through those apexes. The fastest part of the circuit by a considerable margin. So um, just a, another awful looking accident and just a, a real shock to see. Um, it was just like, oh, no, Vandermark's down again. And he realized it's, it's it's almost a carbon copy of what happened to Jonathan at Donington. And you just go, oh, it's 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 awful. And it, it's it's Peretti's got a lot to answer for on this one, because it's the second weekend in a row with its second different tire compound where this has happened. And through no fault of his own, Vandermark's been robbed of a real shot at his first World Superbike victory. And it's a, it's a darn shame. Yeah, as were Patty Yamaha, of course. They've not won yes. a World Superbike race at all yes. either. And Yamaha haven't won a World Superbike race since returning. Their last World Superbike win was back in 2011 um, with Eugene Laverty. They haven't won, of course, in their second stint in the championship um, since rejoining with this new R1. And yeah, as you say, Vandermark had absolutely no and what was so bad about it for me was that it just went without warning i mean we're going to come on to an incident in race two where another rider was taken out of a potential race winning position when his tire hit problems but at least he was given some warning where it slowly deflated van der marks um he, ju- he just went and just pitched him off the road and, and jonathan ray said straight away in his post interview it was a weird accident um yeah like ray said straight away no there must have been some sort of problem there because that's not the kind of crash that you have at that corner um, and yeah. for Vandermark just to lose the rear like that was was crazy. And you could see we we've seen still images of it in MCN, and we've seen um, onboard footage from Jonathan Ray of it, where Vandermark's not even he's only halfway through his accident. You can already see that the tire's gone. 
Um, yeah, and, off and, the rim. And, and that Vandermark has just got no way of controlling that or no way of being able to prepare himself for that kind of incident and save the bike. He's just off. And yeah, he deserves so much better than that. Um, Vandermark. Absolutely. In the end, then, um, Yamaha out of contention for the win, which left us with the kind of fight for the win, what we've been used to seeing this year between Ducatis and Kawasaki's. Um, now, Tom Sykes had turned on pole position. Um, had never really had the pace in this first race. He was back in fourth at this point, promoted from fifth when Vandermark went down. Um, now, keep a note of that. Um, the front three were away and gone with this at the front. Chaz Davies and Jonathan Ray fighting for the lead. Chaz Davies had, well, Chaz Davies and Marco Landry kind of put a pincer movement on, on Jonathan Ray with a few laps yeah. to go, which looked to have sent Jonathan Ray out of contention. Ray managed to bully his way back past Melandry with a couple to go. And Melandry then goes down halfway through the final lap. And uh, yeah, as it turns out, Melandry would have regretted that crash. No kidding. Um, <laughs> like, Marco Melandri basically robbed himself of what would have been a double victory in the end, and that would have been a shocker, to say the least, going into the weekend. But, yeah, it's it's a moment of regret because down, down at the hairpin on the final lap of the race, Chaz Davis loses the front completely. Down he goes, and then to everyone's shock, Jonathan Ray runs over him, and it was a horrendous-looking accident. And... Yeah, Davies goes down, Ray goes down over the top, Tom Sykes with the luck of like having 15 rabbit's feet surrounded on his tyre spokes, uh, has gone on to win a race he was four seconds off the top in, going into the final lap with the front three all crashing. Um, you will probably never, ever see anything like that again in World Superbikes. That was ridiculous, to say the least. And yeah, just like that, Tom Sykes gets the jammiest win of his career and one very smug uh, Yorkshireman who ha happens to also do a podcast with me, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, you can't see the look on my face or you couldn't when this race happened. But uh, yeah, just dig, dig up all your favourite Jeremy Clarkson gifts and uh, you'll pretty much have something close to what to what my face looked like. Um, but no, in terms of in terms of the Ducatis and, and the crashes on the final lap, and I think Tom Sykes had a very good point when he spoke after the race in part Fermi when he was trying to wipe the Cheshire grin off his face, Cheshire cat grin, um, because he spoke about the temperatures and he said that it was very, very slippery out there um, because temperatures, track temperatures have climbed to over 50, much like they had at Barcelona for the MotoGP race a week prior. Um, and we saw in World Super Sport Super Pole that followed race one, um, bikes falling off left, right, and centre. And it kind of looks as if the temperatures just sent the track from grippy to really, really slick and slippery um, and were sending riders off the road. And that looked like the cause of Melandry's crash. And Davis was just basically, as we've seen so often from him, Dre, to be honest, in the past, to try and match these Kawasaki's for pace, he has to ride on the absolute limit of adhesion. And at times, he goes over it. Yeah, and that was another one of those cases, it seems. Yeah, I mean... Again, it looks like these tire manufacturers like Pirelli and Michelin, have, uh, like they don't like it when their tires are really, really hot, it seems. And again, it, it turns them into slippery. I mean, overheating tires is always a bad thing because obviously it means that you're losing grip and the track becomes very slippery. Um, as we found out in MotoGP with, you know, bikes not going anywhere near as fast as they probably could go in Catalonia. And now here again where the situation had pretty much forced like like the riders to go over the edge um on on, on terms of grip to try and and, and, ma and match what, what they'd seen in front of them so for that to happen yeah just a just a disastrous one for Chaz and another incident where in the clutch towards the end of a grand prix a race that he probably would have won he's he's lost it on, on the final hairpin and he's he's cost himself some probably 
that's probably eliminated Chaz from the championship now, realistically speaking. So, yeah, just another case where Chaz has to go has to go over the top to really have a chance at winning. And once again, it, he's come up he's come up empty. Yeah, and Chaz is, Chaz is way out of it now. He's 111 points off Jonathan Ray. Um, and that's before you even consider his physical state at the moment. Um, mm. and, and yeah, I mean, I have, I, had, I do have sympathy on this one with with Pirelli and and with Michelin, as it happens in in MotoGP, where they've had these kind of issues. Where I just don't, I don't see how any tire manufacturer can even begin to design a tire for fifty three degrees track temperature. That's ridiculous. Um, it's, it's just that is extreme levels of heat for any tire to do. I mean, if you design a tire that's meant to cope in those kind of levels, then it's just gonna be way too hard. Um, and it, you know it's very rare that you're going to get temperatures that high, even in summer. Um, so you know unless the temperatures go that high, the tires are going to be way too high. They're not going to heat up. Um, so I can kind of sympathise with Pirelli on that one. Um, but as you mentioned, Chaz once again giving up a win or giving up a potential win with a late crash when he was just pushing a little bit too hard. And and as we saw the damage was not just to his championship challenge but the damage was to his body as well a, a broken mm. vertebrae for him um when jonathan ray basically rode over the top of him but we did get a chance to see through all of the rivalry and all the vitriol that's been exchanged between the two particularly in Aston earlier this year um just the the camaraderie of motorcycle races as jonathan ray proved on the slowdown lap after remounting to finish third in that race his first thought wasn't for his lost championship points to tom sakes his first thought was for Chaz. Yeah, absolutely. We saw it um, in post-race where on his cool-down lap after the race was over, he he got off his motorcycle at the hairpin and ran over to see if Chaz was okay. Um, and thankfully, um, it, it wasn't too serious in the end for Chaz. And, you know, he was able to, to walk away from the incident despite, you know, needing some medical treatment. And uh, it could, it could, I mean, we, we've seen horror stories in bike racing for very similar accidents. And, yeah, Chaz, Chaz essentially got away with one on that one. And, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that uh, Chaz was okay, and I'm glad that uh, Jonathan took it upon himself that despite, the, the again, the, the bitterness between the two of them this season, that uh, Jonathan was able to see the bigger picture and um, check on his, on, on his fallen comrade to see if he was okay, um, which was very, very sporting of him, uh, a, a very classy gesture from the Osterman. And, uh yeah, kind of puts a lot of what Chaz said out of context earlier this year, Aston, in that in that vitriolic Facebook rant. That uh, despite all of that, Jonathan was still willing to check and see if the guy was okay. Because I think it's it's clear that Jonathan knew, um, straight away that 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 he, he'd run over Chaz at some point, and you know, God, that must have been all signs, all, all sorts of ugly. Um, so again, glad, glad that uh, Chaz is relatively okay, and that uh, you know, um, um, nice to see a, a genuine moment of class yeah. from yeah. our reigning champ. Yeah, because that's kind of, as you say, from from what Chaz said earlier in the year, particularly after Assen, and he, he kind of characterised Jonathan Ray as almost someone who would almost try and connive his way to success with with games that he would play in in, in certain instances, but that what we saw on Saturday from Jonathan Ray that's more like the Jonathan Ray that I thought I knew um I always thought he was he was that kind of guy so yeah as you say it does kind of put what Chaz said earlier in the season into some kind of context in terms of the kind of guy that Jonathan Ray is he he's he's a class act as we've said before and he proved it again uh, on Saturday not least because he remounted and still managed to finish third uh, in that first (laughs) race um remarkably uh Tom Sykes as Dre mentioned inheriting the the jammiest of World Superbike victories um but 
Claudia, in true Yorkshire fashion, was more than happy to take it. Um, of course. In his interview, um, with um, some some great Yorkshire quotes, where he um, yeah he said in his part family interview after race one, he says, "I came round on the, the final lap and saw those two and thought, hey up, we'll have this little monkey,' which was his exact <laughs> which was his exact quote. Well, um, in part yeah, us Yorkshire, us Yorkshire folk, we'll uh, we'll take any kind of win in any way. We you know, we we're not, we're not shameful enough to um to to accept those. <laughs> Um, as, as Sykes proved earlier in the year when he took the Super Bowl watch from Jonathan Ray and Aston uh, when he got that penalty. Um, it's just, Still yeah, let's see. Shameless. Just, just shameless, just shameless. But um, yeah, given that he, it's only his second win of the year, um, I think Tom Sykes was more than happy to accept that one because he's, he's not tasted victory uh, many, many times um, this season. Uh, yeah, he said, I could not believe it. When I saw Marco go down, I thought, okay, let's take third position. I was all set coming around the last lap. Already the adrenaline was going, but I had settled for third, and I was already thinking about Sunday. I came around the right-hand curve and saw two bikes. I may come from Yorkshire, but three minus two still means one. Here we go. Um, and, um, and yeah, he uh, he suddenly found 25 points and a race victory falling into his lap, um, which also had championship implications because he gained another nine points. Uh, on his teammate Jonathan Ray, the other big beneficiary, of course, from sixth position for most of the race and five spots behind his teammate was Alex Lowe's, who um, suddenly found himself promoted Dre to a all-time career best in World Superbike, second place. Yeah, well, like I said, you can only ever be ready to put in front of you. Yeah, you got to be in it to win it, and again, just not making mistakes and picking up where you know. But this is this was a freak incidence where three of the top four riders in the field failed to finish and. You may not see that again all season long. So, of course, the guys that are primed to inherit from this are the Yamahas, especially given that one of them also didn't finish, and that was Vandermark earlier. So, mm-hmm. Lowe's was basically the best of the rest outside of Tom Sykes, and that's been the case pretty much all season long anyway. So, you know, Alex Lowe's was probably the biggest benefactor reward of it, finishing in second, and a well-earned second place. Um, a bit jammy, but hey, they all count, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've got to be, you've got to put yourself in that position, haven't you, to to be there, to take advantage when these, these incidents happen. I mean, how many times have we seen Alex Lowe's uh, hit the deck in races, and if he'd done one of the, you know, it's so many times he's hit the deck when he's basically trying to make the bike go go to places he just won't go um and given that he was running down his six you, you think that might be one of those scenarios where he sees his team up the road leading the race and just pushes too hard and decks it and to be fair alex Lowe did deck it in race two but we'll we'll, yeah. gloss, we'll gloss over that for now um because he, he because he didn't do that in race one and he gets his reward he gets a second place out of it which as i say you've got to be there at the end to pick up these kind of pieces which may fall your way and, and alex Lowe did that um jordy torres was also a beneficiary from this because he went from what was seventh on the final lap to fourth which of course became race two pole um heading into sunday um now before we talk about Torres, Dre, um, Chaz Davis, of course, with his broken back, was taken out um, mm-hmm. of race two, was unable to start it, which, given the history of World Superbikes for the last three years, kind of leads you to think that this race has got to be won by a Kawasaki, right? Right? Surely. Um, <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. Um, it's like, welcome back, to, welcome back to the winner's circle, Marco Melandri. Um, it's and been a while. He started 10th. He started 10th on the grid and would go on to win it. That was... As good a ride I've seen from Marco in like a decade. Um, that was fantastic stuff from Marco. And, you know, like it was unlike any other Marco performance because it was just well assured, well controlled, well managed. And, you know, he picked his spot to, to, to overtake Jordi Torres, who was in the leading pack pretty much all the way to the end. And, yeah, like it, it, it was as disciplined a, a ride, a, a real ride of maturity from Marco, mm-hmm. given that. 
often his head goes to pieces um, a lot of the time. But uh, this time around, no, it was it was a flawless ride from Marco, and that was inch perfect. And I'm you know I'm glad that he he, he got a win because I think he was he was he was due one I think more than anything else. He's always been competitive on that Ducati right from the start, and he's had moments of, of, of brilliance this season on that bike. It's just been putting it all together, and this time he did. And congratulations to the nation of Italy, 100. World yeah, the one hundredth World well. Superbike victory for an Italian rider, and um, yeah, it's been a while since the ninety ninth because that was Marco Melandri. Um, his last win in World Superbikes was Magni Court twenty fourteen, and um, we all know the controversy of that weekend um, when he beside, basically decided he was only going to be helpful enough to Solangitoli to donate one victory to him rather than two um, on that weekend um, three years ago. Um, and yeah, it's we we mustn't forget not only that Marco Melandri's been due because he's done well this season, but but where he's been in those three years since his last win, which was caused on the Aprilia back then, this, mm. is a, this is a guy that's almost been in the World Superbike or the World Motorsport wilderness. He was taken to MotoGP yeah. by Aprilia almost against his will um, <laughs> to, go, to go and ride that dog-awful MotoGP bike when they were at the very beginning of their development in, World, in MotoGP. Yes. And you can argue they haven't really progressed all that much since then, but anyway, mm. I digress. I digress. Um, so he's, he's had a bit of a, a tough time getting MotoGP, then a year off completely as he's been trying to find his way back in. And you have to say, Ducati were taking... A little bit of a punt to bring him back in, given that he's, he'd not he'd not raced for for a couple of years in World Superbikes. But he's already, given that he's taken a victory, which is something Davide Giuliano never did on that bike, he's already justified their faith in him. Absolutely, and that's the thing. Marco's always had this level of pace in World Superbikes. This is not a fluke. I mean, Greg Haynes talked about it on the podium afterwards. This is the fourth different manufacturer he's won a World Superbike race on, including yeah, a Yamaha, Pri- BM, Aprilia, and now Ducati. So the guy's proven that he's an excellent superbike rider. There's no measure. I mean, that's his 20th World Superbike victory as well. So again, this is not a fluke. He's always been this good in World Superbikes. And I said this at the start of the season that I reckon he'd win a few rounds. And it's taken them a little while to get there. And let's be real here. Chaz is still a fantastic rider. And that's, mm. that was always going to be a roadblock for him to, in the way of that. Because Chaz is the class of the field. I mean, him and Jonathan are probably the two best guys in the, in the sport by some way. But... In you know again this this was as good a ride from Marco as I've seen in years and as you say he's been kind of in no man's land um, for the last two or three years you know, he was a free agent last year he wasn't really doing anything last season of relevance and you know he he he'd come off quite badly on that Aprilia testing situation where he went to MotoGP and he was out, outclassed by Stefan Bradl and you know it's. It's it's a nice little redemption for Marco Melandri that he's back in he's back in relevance riding the Ducati you know winning winning their 100th rate the national race there at Masano as well it was a, a, a near perfect victory for that case so, I mean way to get people back on the Marco wagon because he is one of the sport's true characters I mean that's yeah. that's lost in the shuffle of all that is that Marco is a genuinely very entertaining man and. Yeah, just just overall, just a fantastic win. And again, just it's, it's this was a great weekend for the series in general. That you know we had, you know, not only Marco and Andrew win race two, not only a ridiculously dramatic race one. We had Jordi Torres in there as well, who was on the brink of, a, of, a, of his first podium this season. And again, I, I, we'll get to this in a second, but seemingly justifying what the reverse grid rules was meant to do um, for the first time this season. 
So when you factor all that in, this was a great weekend for the series, and Marco Melandri was at the peak of that. Yeah, you've taken the words right in my mouth there. Let's talk Jordi Torres and, and what he did in race two. Um, promoted to fourth, as I mentioned, given the, the last lap chaos of race one, where he probably would have been seventh-ish um, had that all not happened. But he was promoted to fourth, which became pole for race two. And as you say, Dre, for the first time really this season, um, the race two pole man, has actually stuck around and made a real fist to race too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Jordi Torres, um, just, like, it's, it's, uh, it, I was watching the race live and I got to about halfway and I'm thinking, wait, Jordi Torres isn't going away, is he? Um, no, he was still there. And again, he was still all the way there until about five to go. Jordi Torres was riding one of his finest races in world since he, since he joined two years ago. Um, it, he, he rode magnificently. I mean, we, we've we've talked a lot um, over the last um, couple of months about how Altea hasn't really got the support from BMW that it needs to really push with the, the top six. No, they're, just, um, they're just basically given the bike and told to get on with it. Yeah, basically. And it's, it's not the Altea days when they were with Ducati and they got the help. It's it's a different ball game entirely where they're now, they're on their own, basically. They're given a... To be fair, very fast BMW S1000 double R, but then they're basically given no development because BMW are focusing more on GT racing than than their biking projects. So, yeah, they're given the bike and they said basically roll with it. And it, it's been a it's been a it's been a bad year for Altea in terms of just luck. Obviously, um, losing Marcus Reiterberg, who's also again very talented, and you know, losing him all season long and having to basically deal with the Rosa, who let's be honest is just not on on Marcus's level and that's been it's been up to Geordie to carry the team basically since then and he's he's having a very solid season again and he's he's doing a real solid job and this was this was just the epitome of raw bad luck from Geordie Torres where once again four to go he's still in second place the Kawasaki's have not got an answer for him um in terms of pace and the next thing you know deflating tire and out he goes and you just go oh for god's sake jordy no yeah. i wanted spanish elvis on the podium so bad and and we were robbed again um of that from happening it's a real shame because jordy looked confident all weekend long and you had a very good weekend and just just cruelly had a podium taken out of his hands like that yeah, he deserves so much better. And it was, like you say, a great weekend for the series. But I, I, I don't know about you, but I'm not even sure where this has come from. Like, I can't, I'm oh. struggling to try and pinpoint where this sudden closeness of the field has come from. Because Kawasaki and Ducati have dominated all season. They've won every race that we've seen so far and still have, um, it has to be said. Although they've, they've come close to losing that record in both races this weekend. But, Absolutely. but all of a sudden, from Kawasaki and Ducati dominating, we've now had a weekend where Yamaha could have won race one and a privateer BMW could have won race two. And I'm struggling to see yeah. where this has come from. Was it just Kawasaki having an off weekend? I think, I mean, it pr probably. I mean, we'll have to wait and see Laguna Seca next month because Ducati traditionally have gone very well around there. And um, again, I know Sykes won there last year, but like the year before, it was it was a completely dominant Chaz Davis weekend, and yeah, that's a that's a stronger Ducati track for him on paper. Yeah, but Sykes's win last year was more the Ducatis just basically screwing each other over, wasn't it? Davide, like, like put the red mist away, um, basically. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It's it's a traditionally a stronger Ducati circuit, and yeah, like it's we'll have to wait and see what happens. But yeah, it was very strange seeing seeing Kawasaki. Um, just seemingly fuming this weekend. Like they're normally like they've become the class of the field, and they've 
they've patched up a lot of their weaker rounds this season as well, where they're a threat almost everywhere now. Um, even on rounds where traditionally um, Ducati has been stronger, like Aragon, for example, we saw Jonathan Ray take 45 out of 50 points there. Um, so, yeah, it was strange seeing Kawasaki seemingly curtailed to, to, to a large degree. Um, so I have to wait and see what happens at the given a sake of next month. But it, it, it was peculiar, and that opened the door for people to get involved, and they very, they very often did. Mm, yeah, Johnny Torres wasn't the other Spaniard, the only Spaniard with a hard luck story to tell from the weekend as a whole, because although we didn't really see him towards the end of the race, there was a very good reason for this. Xavi Forres, who was alongside Johnny Torres on the front row for race two and led it early on, having taken the lead from, from Torres early on, he, of course, is on a privateer Ducati for the Barney team, um, and had mechanical problems not intervened, he could quite easily have been in the mix too. Absolutely, they were, they were all involved there. So we had a great time. Aprilia was, was was stronger than usual this weekend as well. So absolutely could have had more guys involved in in that fight. And it was a very balanced weekend across the board. Maybe the high temperatures just balanced the books for everybody this time round. Very bizarre weekend. I can't really explain it, but um, yeah, um, not a bad thing for us as casual fans to watch. No, it gives <laughs> us it gives us some questions, doesn't it? For one, setting into us about okay, rather than just which of the three Brits is going to win this one uh, up the front. Um, but uh, as far as the two Brits that were left up the front, once Chaz Davies had withdrawn for the rest of the weekend, Ray and Sykes. So for, for much of race two, Dre, it, we were kind of asking the question: Have Kawasaki just not got the pace this time, or is Sykes the cork in the bottle? who's just holding Ray up. Ray then got past him in race two, but as we found out, once Ray got past on Sykes, he couldn't really go any quicker. No, um, and Jonathan said it after in, in, in part Fermi for race two, he never felt comfortable out there. He, the bike was not the same as it normally was out there. It looks like the high temperatures were playing up with Kawasaki's level of grip. Um, yeah, so like Jonathan just yeah, no problem coming out and just saying, well, listen, like this, this bike just didn't feel the same as it normally did, and I know I... I finally got past Tom, but after that, I mean, I thought, okay, I might be able to go and get Geordie, but it just never really happened on, on, on that one. So, yeah, very bizarre sort of um, race with, from Jonathan. Jonathan's normally the class of the field and is normally so good in his tyres, but this time round, just didn't have an answer for him. Mm. Yeah, I mean, where do we sit as a, as a championship now in, in World Series? We're at the halfway stage now in the season, and we've just passed it. We've got um, another 12 races to go. <laughs> Um, out of 26 for this year. Um, it's it's a two-horse race at best now. Chaz Davis, as I mentioned, 111 points off the lead and with a broken back. So even if he is fit for Laguna Seca, he's too far back to really make a, make a play at this. Um, but however fortunate it was, Dre, with what happened in race one, this is now two straight rounds where Tom Sykes has gained points uh, on Jonathan Ray. He gained 20 on him at Donington. He's gained another five um, with his results in the end. Um taking a first to race third in race one and a third to race second in race two. And they were pretty much together when they've crossed the line in race two. Sykes is just about doing enough to keep himself interested here. Literally barely just enough to keep it alive here. I mean, yeah, yeah we, yeah, we kind of yeah. need him to, don't we? Which has so far back now. Yeah, for the sake of the championship, this is only a good thing that Tom Sykes is clawing his way back into this slowly and surely. But he's still got an entire weekend of points worth to make up and right now Jonathan just doesn't look like he's going to give this up easily he's he's barely put a foot wrong all season long and one once again when it came down to it in race two on an equal scenario Jonathan did come out on top in race two and race one doesn't normally happen like like that's that's no. you can't really use that to measure any sort of any sort of you know any long-term takes about the field in a race where three of the top four binned it on the final lap so 
Yeah, right now, I'm still not convinced that Sykes is really going to put up a long-term fight here. But, hey, you've got to take these points wherever you can get them. And right now, he's doing just that, and he's doing just enough to make this interesting. Yeah, race one then went to Sykes um, with the flukiest of fluky victories. Uh, four and a half seconds clear of Alex Lowe's, who took second. That's a career best. Johnny Ray third, um, despite having to crash and remount after using Chaz Davies as a speed hump. Jordi Torres fourth. Chavi Forres fifth. Eugene Laverty sixth. Um, for a player. Then came Randy Krumenacker in seventh, head of Roman Ramos, Lorenzo Savadori, and Rafa de Rosa, who won the Stock 1000 race here a year ago. He took 10th, just ahead of Leon Camier. MV didn't really have a weekend to write home about this time at their second home round. Alex DeAngelis in 12th, head of Badavini, Jacek, and Marco Melandri, who did remount to score a point in 15th. He then got the maximum 25 in race two by beating the two Kawasaki's of Ray and Sykes, uh, who were second and third. Vandermark fourth this time, having decked it in race one when his tyre came off the rim. Eugene Laverty and Lorenzo Savadori, the two Aprilias, fifth and sixth ahead of De Rosa. Um, that's a career best for him in World Superbikes in seventh. Krumenaka eighth, Leandro Mercado in ninth, and Stefan Bridal on the sole Honda. Um, getting their only points of the weekend in 10th. We expect him to have a teammate next time we see him uh, at Laguna Seca. Um, only 12 finishes in race two, given the chaos and the number of riders who didn't start it after their incidents the day before. Um, Badavini and Jezek, the two Grillini Kawasaki's, completing the point scorers in 11th and 12th. Torres, Camilla, Lowe's, DeAngelis, Forres, and Fabio Menke, the wildcard, all non-finishers. Chaz Davies, as I mentioned, was a non-starter. Championship standings then, with um, six rounds to go, 12 races to go. Jonathan Ray has a 50-point lead over Tom Sykes. Sykes is now some 61 clear of Chaz Davies in third. Melandry is just 22 behind his teammate now in fourth. Alex Lowe's is fifth, with Vandermark sixth. Chevy Forres dropped to seventh, having briefly outscored Vandermark with his result in race one. Dropped back behind him in race two. Camier's eighth now in the championship, just ahead of Torres. He would have lost that had Torres stayed running in race two. Torres, as it is, is ninth on 85. Then comes Eugene Laverty on 79 points, first of the Aprilias in the World Championship. Um, on to the lower classes then, and we'll start with World Super Sport, Dre. And um, unfortunately, having had such a batshit crazy first half of the season, thanks to the uh, errors of Luca Mahias at uh, Mizano last weekend, normality looks to have finally been restored. Yep, and the and normality is spelled out as a simple hashtag. Keenan wins lol. Um four again. In four in a row. It's like Keenan has, en has entered this season like a man possessed after <laughs> after missing out on obviously the first three rounds through through stuff that wasn't really his own his own doing. Um like like Caracasura may have unleashed some sort of monster when he took him out to Aragon. And mm. um, yeah, Keenan has looked practically unbeatable since then and yeah, four straight wins in a row, and seemingly now, given Mahias' fall, is now back in control of the championship. Yeah, uh, 100 <laughs> points out of 100 since Savoglu's. Um, yeah, as, as Drake mentioned, he was taken out of his returning race in Aragon when he was competing for fourth with Caracasulo, teammate to, to, to uh, Mahias. Uh, when Caracasulo went down at turn one and took Savoglu down, Savoglu's won every race since then. <laughs> Mahias had been dealing in seconds and limiting the damage, but... Um, the first, I mean, we, we, we said this a week ago, didn't we, Dre, that Mahais is going to have to beat Safoglu somewhere. Um, mm -hmm. Now he absolutely has to beat him immediately. Absolutely, because even even before the crash, he was not running second. Like, it was Jules Clazelle that was putting the, the pressure on Keenan this time around. So, I mean, it was it was, it was was a Clazelle weekend, and Mahais was, was going to be maybe on the podium at best before the crash anyway. But the fact he has gone down... 
um, a 30-point championship. He's now become a five-point championship. And it's now pretty much all to play for with five rounds to go in the championship. And, um, yeah, the way it's going right now, I, I find it I find it hard to see where Lucas wins this championship because Keane right now is is on fire. And I've never seen him ride as well as he's done with this level of consistency before. He's doing an incredible job, and Lucas just hasn't got an answer for him now. It's, 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 it's telling. Yeah, he's, look, he's looking unbeatable. The fact that he's won four races so far, and you know, they weren't even close, were they? All four were dominant wins, where you could barely see the guy in second behind him. Um, in this case, it was Cluzel. So, for the winner um, from Cluzel, Caracasulo, who's um, been either Rostrum or Hospital, really, so far this season. He was Rostrum on this occasion in third um, for the GRT Yamaha team, with Mahias out of it. Jacobson, PJ Jacobson for the MV Augusta team, fourth ahead of Carl Smith and Gino Rea, the two Brits, fifth and sixth. Um, Axel Bassani, who had the shortest Moto2 career in history when he was uh, jettisoned from the speed-up team earlier this season. He's resurfaced in World Super Sport and was seventh at the weekend, ahead of Sheridan Marias, the South African, um, who's been up the front of the championship earlier on this season. Hannes Soma, the first of the ESS runners, that's the European Super Sport class, um, the sort of championship within a championship which only runs the European rounds. Uh, the Estonian won that in ninth, and Ant West in tenth. Uh, the Australian completing the top 10 as he continues his world tour with very little cash as he tries to continue uh, his <laughs> season. Um, the final point scorers were Zaccone, Watanabe, Rob Hartok, the Dutchman. Kyle Ride was 14th, so he got a couple of points. And Hikari Okubo, uh, the Japanese, completed the points uh, in 15th position. Championship standings, as Dre mentioned, the championship lead now is down to five points for Luca Mahias uh, over Keenan Sofoglu. Um, Safoglu, as I say, has taken a perfect 100 points from the last four races. Mahias has 105, five clear of Safoglu. Uh, Sheridan Marias is now just 29 off the lead in third, uh, with Cluzel one point further back in fourth. Still looks like a two-horse race, has to be said, but they're just about in touch now, um, the chasing pack. PJ Jackson is fifth on 68, then comes Caracasulo on 51. Uh, Robbie Rolfo is down to seventh now, sadly, on 43 points. The dream is most certainly dead now. Dead. He's dead. Yeah, he's, uh, he's dead with the weeds, unfortunately. Cal Ryan is eighth in the points on 43. Uh, that's just, that, well, it's level with Rolfo. Rolfo's ahead of him by virtue of his win in Australia. Anthony West is ninth on 38. And Kyle Smith is tenth on 35. His result of the weekend took him ahead of Luke Stapleford. And I went to Supersport 300 because um, it was a bit of an eventful start to the weekend in Supersport 300 because the last time we spoke to you about this class, Alfonso Coppola had won um, the race at Donington Park to bring himself right into championship contention. He was just two points uh, behind the uh, early championship leader, Scott DeRue. Now, uh, on the day of the race uh, at Mazzano last weekend, news broke that Coppola had been disqualified from the Donington race, handing victory to Mika Perez uh, ahead of Mark Garcia and Scott DeRue, therefore promoted to the podium at Donington in third. Um, so Coppola was then 27 points off the lead as a result of that, but uh, was starting at least on pole for the uh, Grand Prix. Uh, in Mizano. Couldn't quite convert that into a victory, unfortunately, though. Perez did that um, to take his second straight win, as it turns out, by virtue of the fact that he was inherited the win uh, at Donington Park. He then took the win himself at the Riviera de Rimini round at Mizano, ahead of Armando Pontone and Coppola in third. Scott Deru, though, this time uh, the look wouldn't follow him. He could only finish in 12th position as he uh, got caught up in one of the uh, many, many group fights that characterises Super Sport 300. He, was ending, he ended up towards the back of a group rather than the front of it 
on this occasion, which left him down in 12th and has caused some serious damage to his championship lead, which was looking pretty healthy after he won the first two races of the season. It doesn't anymore. Daru leads by just three points now. Uh, 75 points for him ahead of Mika Perez in second. Uh, Mark Garcia, another of the Spaniards in third. Uh, he's just 10 off the lead. Then comes Alfonso Coppola in fourth on 57. That's 18 off the lead. Um, incidentally, you may have mentioned Greg, heard Greg Haynes mention this earlier in the season. The Yamaha Supersport 300 riders are also racing for a Supersport 600 ride next year. Um, whichever is the highest of the Yamaha riders in this class earns that honour. And at the moment, it looks like being Coppola. Um, he's fourth on 57. Uh, 18 off the championship lead. Uh, Borja Sanchez is 5th on 48. Then comes Doran Loreiro in 6th on 46. Danny Valle 7th on 37. Ahead of Pontoni, who got his first podium at the weekend. He's now up to 8th on 35 points. Just four races to go in the World Supersport 300 class because they do not go to Qatar for the final round of the season. So um, we're coming very, very close now to the end of the opening World Supersport 300 season. Just the Lousy Ring, Portimao, Magnicor and Hereth to go to crown the first ever Supersport 300 world champion. Mostly because it would take them like half a minute to do the front straight at Qatar, knowing how slow those bikes yeah, are. You can, you can kind of understand why they haven't sent them there, can't you? Yeah. Um, that circuit wouldn't really showcase them, and also they can't, probably can't afford to take them all over there. Um, so yeah, World Supersport 300 and World Super Sport will return um, in August, as it happens. Next round for them will be August the 18th to the 20th, the German round at the Lausitz Ring. World Superbikes returns in a couple of weeks at Laguna Seca in the United States. And we all cannot wait for that one. Right, let's head back to British shores then and talk British superbikes um, and the action at Knock Hill. Always an eventful weekend, given it's a pretty unique circuit uh, on the British superbike calendar. But this weekend, um, threw a, a ton of curveballs at us, Dre, and many of them came before any of the racing even took place because from as early as Friday night, half of the showdown contenders were out of it altogether through injury. Yeah, um, this was a, a freaky weekend. Um, so let me run this down for you. Leon Haslam suffers the fastest high side of his career, in his own words. Mm. Basically mm. snaps his neck. Um, and as well. yeah, he, yeah, he was out of the weekend um, almost immediately. Sent to hospital. He was, he was knocked unconscious mm. um, by the high side. Again, luckily, um, again, he'll probably be back um, for Snetterton in, 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 in a fortnight's time, thankfully. Um, so that was one. Glenn Irwin dislocated his shoulder in practice. Um, nasty accident. He he fell off on the bumps. That was through no fault of his own. That was his handlebar failing. Yeah, his handlebar fell off, and next thing you know, he's out of action. So yeah, that so that was two. So Glenn Irwin's down, and then who am I missing here? Christian Iden as well. Christian Iden who completely gashed his arm in horrendous fashion. Do not find this on Instagram. Whatever you do. <laughs> Um, I, I did that myself. Certainly so like, not if you're squeamish. Um, yeah, not uh, yeah. Like viewer discretion is advised on that one. Um, but yeah, it completely gashed his arm, and he was out for the weekend as well. So 
Yeah, the next thing you know, half the showdown contenders did not score a single point and did not even race on the Saturday, which kind of said it all for the weekend, really. Mm, yeah, and it was it was a messy Saturday as well because they went into what was supposed to be qualifying and that was delayed for a good hour or so given that the sidecars that had run just before them dumped a film of oil all over the circuit uh, which delayed qualifying. We ended up, rather than the usual three-part knockout qualifying, we had a single 30-minute session to decide the grid positions um, given that they were struggling to fit all the time, all the running in, given that they had super sport sprint races and so on to fit in afterwards. Um, Luke Mossy taking the pole position in the end ahead of Jake Dixon. And I think many of us were kind of looking at that thinking, hey, Jake Dixon's doing rather well, but he hadn't even got going yet, Dre. Yeah, exactly. Just, um... <laughs> You're only getting uh, started. Um, gosh. Um, we were only getting started, and Jake Dixon pretty much controlled and dominated the entire weekend. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I told this before, so, yeah, I had I, the looks. Jake Dixon was 150 to 1 on Thursday to win just race one. So, if, if they had the markets for both races up, the double would have paid over 10 grand to the pound, um, to say the least. So, um, yeah, if anybody out there is crazy enough to have done, then that, then I salute you. And can I say, please, can you buy me a house? Um, so I don't think even Jake Nixon's own family was betting on that one. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, absolutely ridiculous. Jake Dixon out seemingly just out of completely nowhere. Um, just in complete control of the weekend on the RAF Kawasaki. I mean, Kawasaki obviously is still a class bike and, you know, will win almost anything on the table if the rider is good enough on the track as well. But on on this sort of level, um, for Jake to do that as a double winner, very impressive. Incredible stuff. It was It's, it's easy to forget where Jake Dixon's come from in his British Bike career. I mean, only two years ago he was in British Super Sport. Um, I mean, he's only 21 for a start, so he's still a pretty young kid um, in, in British Superbike terms. Um, but in terms of, I mean, last year... I've forgotten that Dixon was the guy last year who, do you remember that crash at the hairpin when a guy went down and then as he stood up he got run over um, at the hairpin yeah, that, 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 was, that was Dixon um, so that that was how his debut World Super, uh, British Superbike career was uh, his season was panning out, he um, he got run over at the hairpin uh, unfortunately um, he then had a, a crash later on in the year at Alton Park which ruled him out for the rest of the season so he only actually ran in five events last year um, but God if nothing else, a star was born at the weekend. You, you, you have to wonder. It may just be complete coincidence, Dre, but you have to wonder whether that wild card outing he had in the World Superbikes at Donington a few weeks ago, when he finished ninth in race two in the World Championship, yeah. may well have just given him a bit of a confidence boost because he turned up at Knockilla a completely different rider. Absolutely. Um, again, it's like, it's like he's come back a different dude after that experience, and that was seemingly like uh, Dixon's career turned in a corner, so to speak. Um, so yeah, for Dixon to just keep that momentum going and into into not killing, win both races so comfortably was just so impressive from from Dixon indeed. And yeah, maybe to start something new. We've got to remember this is a guy that doesn't even have a Wikipedia page right now, <laughs> and, and and poor guy. And yet now he's he's had a top ten finish in in, in World Super Sport, and now he's 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 gone on as well to now have a, a, his first set of BSB victories and. It's it's been the year of the young'un so far with 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 Luke Mossy becoming a true title contender um, on the factory team and now Dixon um, adding two wins to that as well and yeah it's 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 a great advert for BSB to have Dixon continue to do well like this and hopefully it's the first of many 
Yeah, for me, the, the race two win was the one that impressed me more than more than the first one. I mean, not not to say the first win wasn't impressive. He basically took the whole shot and ran away with it. Um, yeah, and left Luke Mossy behind, won by one at Tacanta, really, in race one, and the tears soon flowed. Um, after that race one win, it, it meant an awful lot to Jake Dixon. Yes. Um, a, a guy who's a protege, really, of Shaky Byrne, really, at this stage. Shaky Byrne's played a big part in bringing him through to this part of his career. Um, but in race two, it, it almost looked early on when Mossy, Ellison, and Byrne went past him, relegated him to fourth, as if it was a case of, okay, well, that's the normal order being restored then. Dixon yeah. basically being put in his place again by the established names. Yet he still fought his way back through to win again. Executive order was carried out. No, wait a minute, Dixon from the top rope. Um, none of this. Um, it's 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 like wait a minute. He broke the executive order. Maybe this kid really has got something. Um, yeah, this this like race one was no fluke, and that was proven. That, that move you kept putting on at turn three, where he just kept slicing past them. Yeah, just fantastic. Like just just confident. That is that is confidence. That that's what that is. I mean, it's like when a rider has a signature move at a circuit. Like that, you you know he's riding on some level of confidence and a crest of a wave like that, and that is really what what Dixon did in race two. Because like you said, like the the guys that passed him was Ellison, Shaky, and Mossy. I mean, the 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 best young guy in the field right now, and two established top tier championship level riders. Um, and yet he still come back and gritted his way past all three of them to win the second race and. A, a very very hard earned double again delightful stuff from him um mm. just, just 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 all just an all-round brilliant weekend from dixon yeah. it wasn't the bike was op he, he earned that second win on merit as well so just fantastic stuff absolutely and i was trying to figure out how to maybe put this into context what he did at the weekend but i think the best person who put it into context the best was jake dixon himself who um, spoke in MCN and said, I don't think people realise how hard it is for us young riders to break through in BSB. Shaky is a four-time BSB champion. Sullivan Gintoli is a world champion. Leon Haslam has a great record. There are so many boys in this field with tons of experience of winning, but today shows whoever gets here right on the day can win. You've only got to look at Davide Giuliano, podium man in WSB, comes here and he struggles to get in the top 10. It's harder than people think. And that pretty much, from Jake Dixon himself, gives you a measure of the challenge that he and all young riders face these days. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think he's on the money. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's great seeing guys like Luke Mossy and now Dixon start to have these breakout seasons. Glenn Irwin as well. He's a, you know, it's nice seeing some new names up there and some some fresher faces. But let's let's not get it twisted. The top class in BSB is a very well established set of veterans. Shaky Burn is. Is, is is a tremendous rider. Leon Haslam is a world-class level rider who, who can race in anything on any class. Riders that would all still cut it in the world championship if they were there. A absolutely. Um, Jason O'Halloran is a great rider. Um, you know, Peter Hickman is a fantastic road racer. Sylvain Gintoli is a world champion. Michael Laverty is a MotoGP veteran. Josh Brooks is uh, a former champion. Josh Brooks is, 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 a, is a former champion. And, and, you know, again, solid rider on the world stage as well. Like, the, the top field, the top five or six in BSB are as good as anyone in the world. So the fact that we have got Luke Mossy now leading the championship at 24 and Dixon now winning us two races at 21 is only a great advert for the series because uh, Jake, Jake is on the money. Like the established status quo in BSB is so good right now that to even get in the top six or seven is a phenomenal achievement these days. So to win two races like that, brilliant mm. and we're gonna need someone it's still a few years away yet but we're gonna need some guys eventually to take the spots of ray sykes and davies uh and the likes up in world superbike so it's important that these guys 
do start to come through. And, and Jake Dixon, who's, as we say, has already got some well Superbike experience. He got that taster at Donington and got a top 10 out of it. So, yeah, he may be a name to look out for in the future. He may be a name to look out for later this season because those two wins and those 50 points have suddenly propelled him into the race for the showdown spots. Um, given Leon Haslam's exit from the weekend through injury and Shaky Burns' relative lack of pace, the Panigale has never really figured that well at Knockhill. It was expected, and I said this on, on Saturday on Twitter, this really should be Luke Mossy's weekend. Mm. And in a way, it kind of still was because he's taken a 30-point championship lead. But given that he only came out of it with three podium credits when he could have maybe taken 10, Dre, was that actually a missed opportunity from Luke Mossy? I think it was. I mean, when Leon Haslam went down, I was thinking Luke Mossy double win. Uh, and and he's he's been shown up a little bit here by Jake Dixon. And I think this was a missed opportunity. I think you're absolutely right. I think... This was a golden chance for Luke Mossy to really put his foot in the door as a title contender. And hey, I'm not. I mean, he still gained a podium credit on Shaky, and he still gained three on his teammate Leon Haslam, which is a, which is not bad by any stretch. But I think there could have very easily been more on the table. I, I wasn't expecting him to finish off the podium in race two behind James Ellison as well. And that was a bit of a surprise to me because Ellison's been on and off all season long. He's been blowing hot and cold. Um, so for, I think Mossy missed out on a real chance to do some damage to the to the showdown side of the championship. He, I mean, sure, he's got a thirty point championship lead in the regular season, but we wonder that doesn't really mean much given the context of you know the reset and the podium credit situation. That's what's truly important right now, and at the moment, that's where Mossy is seemingly lacking. He hasn't got that ultimate level of upside. I think that. Guys like Shaky, guys like Leon Haslam have got right now. And this was a golden chance for, for Luke to really put his foot in the door. And that just didn't happen this weekend. Yeah, Mossy, Byrne and Haslam, they're all going to be in the showdown. It's pretty yeah. guaranteed they're all going to be there. So it's almost a case of who's going to have that little advantage when they get there, when they start and reset the points, who's going to have that little bit of an advantage through their, their regular season work. And, and like you say, if this was a normal season, we'd be looking at Luke Mossy with a 30-point lead and thinking he's in a really strong position now. Um, but he's he's effectively had an extra round on Burn and Haslam to accumulate those points, um, and hasn't really taken the podiums. You know, he's, he's basically extended that lead through fourths and, and and things like that, which don't really benefit him when the showdown starts. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he he as I say, he took three podium points from the weekend. Shaky Burn took two um, with his two thirds, and yeah, there was a mistake towards the end of the race too where. Mossy went wide at the hairpin and allowed Shaky through, and that that might prove to be kind of crucial edge in season because that gave Shaky an extra point and cost Mossy a point. Um, and we're talking in fine margins here because those three are likely to be fighting it out when the showdown starts later this season. Um, so Mossy, yeah, he's he's thirty points clear of Haslam at the moment, but in actuality, he's two points behind in podium yeah. points, um, which is really what we'll be talking about. Um, if the showdown were to start now, Haslam would be two points ahead of Luke Mossy, um, even though Mossy leads at the moment in real time, and he looks good at the moment to secure a showdown spot. Um, Shaky Burn has had to come from behind Dre, given that he started the season in June, <clears throat> got a concussion at Donington Park, didn't start either round, um, and crashed in his comeback appearance at Brands Hatch, so he only scored points in one of those two races as well. Um, but as we kind of all expected him to do, Shaky has now worked his way into those top six spots without really hitting top gear yet. Yeah, that's just Shaky doing Shaky things, really. And it was around Snetterton sort of time last year where Ducati took it up a notch and Shaky Byrne was the number one guy in the field again. It was it was right around this time last season that uh, Shaky really put his foot down and, you know, started to take control of the championship. Um, 
So, yeah, maybe the same will happen again this season. But, I mean, this this was shaky doing shaky things. We know what he's capable of. We know that he's going to be a contender at almost every given circuit. We know that also that he the, the Knockhill the Knockhill is not a strong suit for the Panigale as a race bike, um, very stop starty, which isn't great for for Gigatti's explosive sort of power. Um, uh, but Shaky on Twitter was very glass half full about the situation. He said it himself. He said the first word on Twitter was glass half full. You know, two podium credits for two third places and back in the show and spots. He seemed happier with that. So, you know, I have every reason to agree with him on that one. And that was a pretty good weekend in the grand scheme of things for Shaky. Yeah, he's third in the championship now on 90 points, which is 51 off Mossy. Um, but more importantly for Shaky, he's now 16 clear of Peter Hickman, who's seventh at the moment and outside the showdown spots and has 10 podium credits to his name, Shaky Burn, even though he's only won once so far um, this year. So um, you, you kind of feel the curves pointing upwards for Shaky Burn as the season goes on. And he alluded that to that himself, the rounds coming up, the likes of Snetterton um, on the 300 layout, Brands Hatch, the GP circuit, there's still to come Thruxton, all power circuits, circuits where the Panigale will really be able to stretch its legs and just show how fast a bike it is and how particularly in a straight line how quick it is which you can't really do at knock hill knock hill's such a, a tight twisty circuit it's such a almost a bit like a go-kart track really it's not really a circuit where the power can really offer you an awful lot um it's much more about handling around there and the kawasaki's so good at that so shaky burn will certainly come good uh, as the season goes on and the fear from the early parts of the season when he missed that first round that he might have to work really really hard to get himself into that top six um those fears are being allayed now because he's already into third in the championship um and we're not even really halfway through the regular season if you like where the showdown spots are cut off at the end of august um in terms of the other showdown spots, if we're going to assume at the moment that Mossy, Haslam and Byrne are going to take three of them, um, yeah. which is a relatively safe assumption at this stage, um, oh. what about the other three? Christian Edens dropped to fourth now um, with his basically his failure to start either race at Knockhill. He's now 86 points, fourth in the championship. Jason O'Halloran has climbed from sixth to fifth. And no matter how many problems are thrown his way with Honda struggling to make that new bike work so far this season, Jason O'Halloran still manages to make that thing go, Dre. Yeah, like, her, like it's like that Honda is seemingly just getting better by the round, and it's, it's seemingly just more comfortable at the front now as the rounds go by. And O'Halloran really is doing a great job carrying um, that that Honda team. I mean, Dan Linford's dropped way off the pace this season by comparison. Um, so O'Halloran there in the top five now is in a fairly safe looking showdown spot right now. Um, I, I think I think they've overtaken where where the, where the Yamahas are at right now. Well, Snetterton's up next where he won last year. Exactly. So, I mean, he, he knows that place very well. He was very strong there last year. So, I mean, it's 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 looking up for Jason right now. And that, that, it looks like the, the Fireblade is, the new one, is looking a bit more comfortable out there. Mm, yeah, that infamous last corner last year where he pickpocketed Dan Limfoot uh, to take the oh. first win for Honda um, last year. Um Oh, Halloran's fifth in the points. Um, Josh, Josh Brooks stays in it, although he drops to sixth. Of course, Glenn Irwin is the man that's dropped out of the top six by virtue of his teammates' uh, improvement. Um, but Josh Brooks, sixth on 78 points, four ahead of Peter Hickman. And the way his season's gone, Dre, for Josh Brooks fans, um, is Josh kind of... Is he more a kind of case of looking over his shoulder at the guys behind him rather than trying to sort of climb his way upwards? That's the way his season seems to be going right now. 
Yeah, it's like he had the great start, and now it's like, well, wait a minute, the like the the the, tag, the Anvil tag guys are not that strong, and it looks like the McCams guys are a little bit more comfortable with Ellison. Ellison's a bit more of a, of, a, of a proven article as well in the top class, and Glenn Irwin was unlucky to because he's had a he's had a real breakout season so far, but was unlucky not to have scored any points at all this weekend. And now all of a sudden, with Dixon's fifty points, now he's in the mix with Hickman as well. So. Um, Hickman's not really making very many errors either, despite the BMW not really being all that fast at the moment. Um, it looks like Hickman's dragging it into the into the, in, in those top eight sort of areas right now, which is kind of where you need to be right now. So yeah, Brooks is in a bit of trouble. Like that was a that was a reckless um, race one crash that harmed him some way. So all of a sudden, it's looking like Brooks has got to be looking over his shoulder more than looking over the guys in front. Yeah, because when. Yeah, when you're not going to take those big chunks of points, the, the victories that Josh Brooks hasn't been so far this season, I mean, in terms of podium points for Brooks, he's only got the three, which was from his second spot um, right the way back at the start of the season when he was second in race two at Donington to Haslam. Yeah. Um, that's his only podium so far this season. And, and when consistency of point scoring is all you've got, you can't afford a crash. You need to keep that going because that's really what's keeping you in the sh- in the shakeup for the showdown. Um, so a crash is is going to cause you a lot of damage, as it did for Josh Brooks that race one Absolutely. crash. Where, you know, you would have probably been looking at what maybe sixth or seventh in that race, which would have taken him. You know, add ten points onto Brooks, and he's fourth in the championship. Um, yeah. So you know those kind of incidents when you're when all you're really dealing with is consistent points points positions. You need to keep them going because just if you miss that once, there are plenty of guys just lining up to take advantage of that. Absolutely. Um, and you know, Brooks will be hoping that his season mirrors his championship year, much like Shaky is at this stage, where of course the Yamaha came good in the second half of the season a couple of years ago. And Brooks will be hoping it does so again because at the moment he needs it to um, because he's just four points clear of the showdown uh, cutoff line. As you say, Hickman, Dixon, Irwin, and Ellison are the four riders immediately outside it. Um, is the likeliest threat, Dre, out of that top six going to, as much as Jake Dixon did a brilliant job at the weekend, um, we still at the moment don't know whether that's going to translate to other circuits. Is the big threat outside of that top ten going to come from James Ellison, given that whenever he stays on the bike, he's always up the front? I think it is. Um, I think that if if the McCams don't have any more any more errors, like having bent chassis and not realising it, um, or... You know, um, James Ellison can finish races. He's finishing in the top five or six regularly when the bike is working and everything is fine. So, yeah, as it stands, I think Ellison is probably the biggest threat out there right now. Maybe Glenn Irwin as well, who who's had real moments of upside so far this season as well. When healthy, it depends how fast you, you can recover from, this, from that dislocated shoulder and how fast he can get back on the bike. Um, but I think those two guys are definitely a threat to get into the showdown this year. I'd say more so than Brooks um, and maybe Eden, depending on how badly hurt he is as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, amazingly, as it sounds, that was Ellison's first podium of the year. Um, that race two podium what? at North Hill. Those are his only three podium points at all so far this year, um, which is amazing given how, how often we've seen him at the front this year. I mean, we've had eight races uh, in British Superbikes in 2017, and James Ellison has only finished four of them. Um, he's only got a 50% finish rate at the moment this season, and that's not going to get you in the showdown. And it's 
the penny's got to drop here eventually, hasn't it, for James Ellison? Because as we've said, whenever he's whenever he stays on the bike, he's got the pace to be in the podium fight anywhere he goes. I mean, he probably would have won race one uh, brands. In fact, probably, it would have been him doing the double up brands rather than Luke Mossy had he stayed on the thing because he had the pace to win, win race one. And then because he bent the chassis, they couldn't get it fixed for race two and he didn't start that one either. Um, so there are so many points that James Ellison has left on the table so far. Um, and we were looking at the odds before this on Skybet for the podium or for the championship outright at the end of the season and outside of that top three as we mentioned of Mossy, Haslam and Byrne the next list in the list of favourites was Ellison at 14-1 to 1. he's the fourth yeah. favourite to win this championship Makes which just, just gives you an illustration of this is the kind of guy that if he's got this level of pace if he can force his way into that showdown he could win it all together Absolutely, especially given the fact that right now there isn't there isn't that many podium credits separating the field right now because there's there's not been one standout yeah, guy so Haslam far. Leads that on nineteen. Yeah, like again, Hasm's got less than a points or less less than a race's worth of points in hand on Ellison, who's only got the one podium credit point so far this season. So if Ellison can pick up a couple more of those, then. All of a sudden, it's a different ball game entirely, and you'd have less than a race in hand in a seven-race championship. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely, there's no reason, especially given that Yamaha was the team that broke out in the second half of two seasons ago. I mean, if again, if Yamaha finds a little bit more, like McCams will probably be the would be the front threat as a team all of a sudden. And yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see if Yamaha can claw themselves back into play. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 gonna be a fascinating fight for the showdown spots because I mean we we flagged this up at the start of the season how competitive BSB is nowadays that there are there are so many more than just six guys um, who could really make a play for these showdown spots and it's gonna be the story through the through the summer to see who makes the showdown because there are still so many rounds to go um, to decide who makes it. As I say, Stetterton next up. Um, then we have the Brands Hatch GP circuit to come. We have Truxton to come and Cadwell Park um, still to come as well. So there are so many races still to go before those showdown six are cut off. Um, so Ellison has time on his side, but he's just got to stop throwing the thing at the scenery um, if he's going to get into that showdown box. He clearly has the pace to do so. He has 51 points in 10th at the moment, so he's got 27 to make up on Josh Brooks, but he has plenty of rounds to do it. Uh, as I say, next round of the season is Snetterton 300. That's uh, on the 2nd of July, uh, or the, the weekend of the 1st and 2nd of July. Then we have Brands GP three weeks after that. Thruxton on the first weekend of August. Cadwell Park two weeks after that. And then the final round where the showdown six is cut off, the triple header at Silverstone um, on the 8th to the 10th of September before the showdown takes place at Alton, Assen and Brands. So still what, the kind of 10 races still to go to force your way in? So Ellison has time on his hands still. Um, Definitely. One rider who's probably not going to make the showdown, well, almost certainly he's going to make the showdown, is Taylor McKenzie. But he gave Suzuki a rare result to cheer so far this season. Because it's fair to say, Dre, that that new Suzuki um, has enjoyed a baptism of fire in its first competitive yes. season, the brand new Superbike. But Taylor McKenzie um, completing or continuing the McKenzie feel-good factor. His brother's making waves in Moto2 and Taylor taking that brand new Suzuki to fifth, which is better than Sylvain Gatoli's been able to make it go so far. You had, you had to get that last line in there, didn't you? <laughs> you, you just had to, you had to try and derail the Ginter's homecoming tour, didn't you? Huh? Huh? We, 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 we had to take a diversion into MotoGP and, you know, salvage Suzuki's <laughs> wretched shit bike. And now we've had to come back over here and I'm, I'm, dealing, to, I'm dealing with this slander. Um, fine, yeah, I see how this is. Sullivan was still eighth, to be fair, in race one. He wasn't exactly no, no, doing no. badly. But Taylor McKenzie, who previously had only been famous for a motorcycle setting fire to his crotch last year, 
um, back at <laughs> back at Snetterton, um, proving what a class act he is. Because that new Suzuki hasn't shown any signs of being top five so far. Indeed, in in the words of one of my old favourite YouTube channels, is it a good idea to microwave this? Nobody likes roasted nuts. No. Um, but but um, yeah, absolutely. Taylor McKenzie, that was a great ride from him in fifth place. As you say, Suzuki has has struggled with their new with their new superbike to really make an impact so far this season. They're really they're 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 digging around the top tens right now. But that was a really strong ride from Taylor McKenzie um, and Suzuki in general, because again, Ginters was eighth as well. So both they got both bikes in the top ten for the first time this season. Um, so yeah, very very strong result there. Not quite as great in race two, but uh, despite that, um, a, a very solid a very solid weekend in Suzuki, and something just to show they've made some real process, some real progress, I should say. Mm, yeah, absolutely, and um, yeah, a strong weekend for the, for that team. Um, they could have had Brad Roy up there too as well if he hadn't have suffered the mother of all commentators' curses from Jack Burnicle um, in race one um, when he was running top ten. Um, so Suzuki definitely um, on the march, definitely moving forward, and yeah, they're, they're trying to basically prove to somebody in World Superbikes that their bike is worth a punt next year. And um, at the moment, they haven't really shown signs of doing that. So it's an important result that for Taylor McKenzie. Fifth for him. Gintoli was eighth in race one. And then in race two, he didn't quite hit the same height. Um, McKenzie was 11th. Brad Ray 12th. Sylvan 14th on Suzuki's uh, overall. Race one then went to Dixon from Mossy and Byrne. That was your podium. O'Halloran fourth ahead of McKenzie and Peter Hickman. Uh, John Hopkins seventh on the Moto Rapido Ducati ahead of Gintoli. Lee Jackson and Michael Laverty. Uh, race two, Dixon doing the double from Ellison this time uh, with Byrne once again in third, beating Mossy to that final podium spot. Josh Brooks in fifth ahead of Dan Limfoot and Jason O'Halloran on the two Honda racing bikes. Michael Laverty eighth and that's really as good as we've seen from him all season. Peter Hickman ninth and Billy McConnell, um, who fails to see the finish in race one. He crashed in that first race. He took 10th in race two. Championship standings, then. We'll do this in two parts, starting with the outright points. Luke Mossy leads it on 141, 30 ahead of Haslam. Um, then comes Shaky Byrne in third on 90. That's 51 off the lead. Christian Iden fourth on 86. Jason O'Halloran in fifth on 83. Then comes Brooks on 78. And that's your showdown six. Hickman is next up on 74. That's four off the showdown. Dixon is on 66, so he's suddenly from absolutely nowhere, just 12 off the showdown now uh, in eight. Glenn Irwin is ninth on 63. He really had no way of defending his showdown spot with the injuries he suffered. And James Ellison moving forwards, finally up to 10th on 51. As far as the podium points are concerned, um, Haslam leads it on 19, two ahead of Mossy on 17. Then we have Byrne and Dixon tied for third on 10 podium points. Um, next up comes Iden on five, Glenn Irwin on four, and then we have Josh Brooks and James Ellison on three apiece. Jason O'Halloran has one podium point to his name so far. Um, completing the good uh, feel-good factor for the McKenzies that I mentioned earlier on, Tara McKenzie still leads the Supersport Championship, even though he pulled out of that championship a month ago to go racing Moto2. That's because he won every single race before he left. Uh, he has 150 points. <laughs> David Allingham is still second and still 27 behind, so he's still a full race worth of points off the lead. Keith Farmer, though, um, is third in the points, effectively second, three points behind Allingham, having won both races at Knockhill. Next round of the British Superbike Championship is at Snetterton in Norfolk, and that is in two weeks' time.
Uh, right, let's come on to the news and let's talk about the other uh, action that took place last weekend because there was a lot of it because in Spain, the next round of the FIM CEV Championship took place uh, on the much-criticised circuit to Catalunya uh, in Barcelona. Um, didn't hear quite so many complaints about grip levels on this occasion, but uh, given that it's the uh, Spanish Championship in effect, that you aren't going to see many riders in this class criticising one of Spain's most famous circuits. Uh, in Moto3, then the Junior World Championship, we saw a victory uh, for the Estrella Galicia junior rider, Alonso Lopez. Um, kind of took the Tom Sykes route to victory in this one because he didn't actually cross the line in first. He inherited a victory through good luck because the VR46 rider, Dennis Foggia, was given a post-race penalty of some eight positions. Um, don't ask me why the, position, the penalty was so draconian. He took the checker flag as the winner, but was given an eight-place penalty for exceeding track limits um, on the final lap, um, even though he didn't gain eight spots from it. But anyway, um, the beneficiary of that um, to take the victory in the end was Lopez for his second consecutive win because he won in the race that took place at Le Mans, which supported the MotoGP race there. Um, so back-to-back -back wins for Lopez and three straight wins for the Estrella Galicia team because his teammate Sergio Garcia won race two. Uh, ahead of Foggia, who, no matter what he does, still can't take a win because he was second in the second race with Jean Massia uh, in third place for KTM. Fourth in that second race, as in the first, went to the Japanese Kazuki Masaki for the Asia talent team. Championship standings, though, it's Garcia that leads it for Australia Galicia on 63 points, but just 13 points covers the top five in this. Uh, Garcia leads Foggia by two. Then comes Masia in third, 11 points off the lead. Alonso Lopez is fourth. He DNF'd the second race, which saw him lose his championship lead and dropped to fourth on 50 points. Jeremy Alcoba, another Australia Galicia junior rider, having won the opening race of the season in Albacete, um, DNF'd both races. Uh, or DNF the second race in Barcelona, and only finished seventh in the first race. As a result, he is down to fifth on 50 points. Uh, Vicente Perez, who we've seen wildcard in Moto3 earlier this season, he is sixth ahead of Masaki, the Japanese, in seventh. Britain's Rory Skinner is eighth, having taken a fifth place in race two in Barcelona. Um, he is just ahead of the Thai rider, Apiwat Wong Tananen, and the Kazakh rider, Makai Yachenko, uh, for the Evintia Academy team in tenth position. In the Moto2 class, which is the European Championship, rather than a, any junior world championship. We saw a victory, a double victory, for Ricky Cardus, who can no longer ride the KTM in Moto2 now that Brad Binder's fit again. So he's decided he's <laughs> going to dominate in CEV instead. Um, ah. Took both victories at the weekend for Calex on the Team Stylobike Calex. Brilliantly, team named, brilliantly named team on that one. Cardus taking both wins to take the championship lead ahead of Hector Garzo, the Spaniard, um, who could only manage third in race two and fifth in race one. Uh, Eric Granado, the Brazilian, has dropped to third, having finished only seventh in race two. Um, Steven Odendahl, the reigning champion for NTS, took a brace of fourths. He's been fourth in all three races so far, and he is fourth in the championship, 11 points off the lead. Uh, completing the CEV with the European Talent Cup, um, basically, this is a one-make Moto3 class with everyone riding Hondas and most of the riders involved being from Spain, uh, including the championship leader, Manuel Gonzalez, who hasn't actually won a race yet this season, but he's had three podiums out of three, um, a second and two-thirds, which see him with a seven-point lead over Andreas Perez uh, of the Avintia Academy, who took a win uh, at Albacete last time out and second in Barcelona behind the eventual winner, Ike Garcia. Um, Perez is second, seven points off the lead. Then comes Alex Toledo, another Spaniard in third. Uh, Simon Jesperson, the Dane in fourth, who won the only round of the season, but DNF'd in Barcelona. As a result, he has dropped to fourth in the points. Uh, CEV continues in July um, with that next round, which is in Spain at Jerez. 
Uh, now back to World Superbikes then, and more World Superbike news, and some good news on a weekend which actually didn't go all that well compared to the rest of the season for Jonathan Ray, who's used to taking victories um, this season, and uh, only the second time this season didn't taste victory at all at Mizano. Of course, Imola the other round where he didn't win at all, where Chaz Davies did the double. Um, but one thing, Dre, that Jonathan Ray did earn over the course of the weekend at Mizano was royal approval. Yes, he's been awarded an MBE in the Queen's Birthday Honours, which is really cool to see. So congratulations to Jonathan Ray on that one. And, and he's pretty much been flying the flag for British motorcycle racing um, for the last couple of years now with his level of success and achievement that he's done for Kawasaki and for the World Championship in general. He's he's led the way, and I'm glad that um, his achievement has been given some recognition on a higher stage because... You know, Worlds is still in the shadow of MotoGP in terms of where Dorna wants it right now, and in terms of, in terms of press coverage and whatnot, it's never going to be um, on MotoGP's level. Where if you, if you compare it to guys like Kyle Crutcher and Brandy Swift, they just don't stand out in that same way. I don't know if Ray is right now. He's been so incredible in Worlds the last three seasons now, and I'm glad he's been recognised for it. And you know, we we can debate until the cows come home. Who you know, guys in motorsport who should or who shouldn't be recognized for honors but i i'm of i'm of the impression that i just appreciate it when somebody gets it rather than yeah. rather than rather than getting mad at the people who don't um you know and that, that that's always been my attitude towards the situation so congrats to jonathan ray he's been a fantastic ambassador for british motorcycle racing for some time now and then he's proof that hard work and dedication does indeed pay off and yeah, congratulations to him. He's done a fantastic job and very well deserved indeed. Yeah, I don't think any of us are really in a position to tell the Queen once, I think, are we? So, no. uh, so um, even if you're even if you're of the Jeremy Corbyn persuasion, who isn't really a fan of the monarchy, um, even so, um, it, it's one of those, as you say, where no one has a divine right to be given any kind of honour from, from the Queen in this respect, whether it's a knighthood, whether it's an MBE, an OBE, or whatever. Um, but when you do get that honour, it, it is a special, special... Um, you know, achievement, special, special privilege. As, as Jonathan Ray said himself, because it is a big surprise and a huge privilege to receive this honour. Uh, since I was a little kid, I dreamt of being a motorcycle racing world champion, and twice now I have achieved that dream. Coming from a small country like Northern Ireland, and to be given an honour like this in recognition of my racing achievements is really nice. And uh, of course, you can now look forward to um, receiving his award when he visits Buckingham Palace later this year. Um, and as you say, he's flying the flag for Britain and flying the flag for Northern Ireland as well. I mean, this is a country that's got such a proud um, motorcycle racing history. It's it's particularly it's road racing because the Northwest 200 um, is one of the premier road racing events of the year. And, and Jonathan Ray, you know, following in the footsteps of some 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 all time greats of this sport who, who've come from that part of the world and. Jonathan Ray doing doing a fantastic job and, and he, if, if, if he had to which he didn't really have to but as we mentioned earlier on his his gesture towards Chaz Davies at the end of race one just proving what a great ambassador he is off Absolutely. the motorcycle just just what a great guy he is and you're thoroughly thoroughly deserving of this honour um, and congratulations to Jonathan Ray MBE yes uh, who earned that distinction um, in the Queen's birthday honours list last weekend um, to another legend of um, World Superbikes racing and some more good news but um, unfortunately this doesn't come in, in great circumstances Max Biaggi two time uh, World yes. Superbike champion of course um, he suffered um, much like Valentino Rossi in recent times a pretty horrendous Supermoto training crash um, this happened a couple of weeks ago on the 9th of June 
Um, now, he was airlifted to hospital when this initially took place, and it was announced that he'd suffered thoracic trauma, um, which, if you, if you, if you recognise that, that phrase, was exactly the same injury that Chaz suffered last weekend, as well as multiple rib, rib injuries. Um, he never lost consciousness, but, of course, he's been spending a lot of, a lot of time in hospital undergoing scans, which um, eventually, thankfully, ruled out spinal cord injuries. Um, and he's undergone successful surgery. In this latest statement, um, the hospital have uh, gone on to tell us that Max Biaggi underwent a successfully thoroscopic toilet, or toilet, of the right pleural cavity, um, basically the long and short of that in the evening intubation. Um, the tube which enters the windpipe, that was removed, and there were satisfactory vital signs. He continues epidural and antalgic treatment and non-invasive respiratory support. The prognosis remains reserved, and he will always, or he was always admitted, in intensive care. Um, a pretty horrendous um, description of the pain oh. that Max Biaggi has been going through um, in recent years. Um, and you know, this is a guy that has been spoken about in such glowing terms. He is a legend of motorcycle racing. In the last sort of 20, 30 years, he is up there with the all-time greats. You know, mm. well, well, arguably the greatest rider never to win a MotoGP title in the Premier Class, at least. Of course, he won yeah. a 250 title and a two-time World Superbike champion. Um, and I think the motorcycle racing community united, even those who support Valentino Rossi Dre, who was, of course, the great rival <laughs> of Biaggi. They were all united in just wishing Max Biaggi the very best. Oh man, the Roman Emperor was such an amazing rider in his prime, and again, he was he was probably the biggest victim of Valentino Rossi's success in the early two thousands. Yeah, a, a tremendous character, a, 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 a real personality, a great fighter physically and literally um, in 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 many cases, and just a tremendous. Rider. I mean, it's easy to forget he won the World Superbike title at the age of forty one. Like that is unbelievable for a rider of his ability, and um, yeah, it's uh, like he is a, a true great figure in motorcycle racing history. One of the guys of the of the late nineties and early two thousands, and even the twenty tens of his world superbike success as well. So I mean, how many riders can you say truly had an impact on three decades of bike racing like that? It's a it's a very rare and very special club indeed. So. Continued well wishes for Max Biaggi. Um, she's one of, the, one of the great guys in bike racing, and um, yeah, wish him all the best. Yeah, he was always a guy who danced to the beat of his own drum, wasn't he? I mean, I think everyone remembers Absolutely. his uh, his famous his famous race where he was disqualified at Catalonia and then just carried on anyway. <laughs> just like, hey, even if I'm not even technically in this race anymore, I'm still going to win it on the road anyway. Um, which he did so much so that the TV directors just stopped even showing him on TV because he wasn't in the race mm-hmm. anymore, even though he was still out there leading the race. Um, yeah. After he'd been disqualified for, first of all, he he overtook on the yellow flags and was given a ride through penalty, then ignored the penalty and was disqualified. <laughs> yes. Um, in true Max Piaggi fashion, <laughs> just did his own thing. He just didn't care. And um, and yeah, I'll never forget his uh, his second World Superbike win and uh, championship win. That's not just because he beat Tom Sykes by half a point to win it. Um, in 2012. Um, you're, not, you're not salty about that at all, are you? Not at all, not at all. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, get well soon, Max Biaggi. We wish him all the very best in his continued recovery um, from that super moto crash. Um, more World Superbike news, and um, this concerns the next round in Laguna Seca. Of course, we hope that Chaz Davis will be fit for this round. One rider we know will not be there is Ricardo Russo. Um, and uh, mm. you'll be forgiven for thinking that he hasn't really been there all season anyway. He's been on the Guandolini <laughs> Yamaha um, and not really pulling up many trees on that bike. It's a, it's a very much a tail end a team um, in World Superbikes. Well, they've um, decided to um, get rid of Ricardo Russo out of the next round, and um, I think it's probably fair to say they've brought in an upgrade. They brought in Jakob Smertz, um, who 
regular oh. regular listeners to this show are probably more associating with the British Superbike Championship, but of course, Cooper Smertz had um, a number of years, five years, in the World Superbike Championship, including five podium finishes back when he rode for the Effenberg Liberty Ducati team. Uh, best finish of second. Uh, I remember him being second to Melandry in a race at Donington back in 2011. He's He's got pedigree in World Superbikes as Jakob Smertz, and he will be back for the next round in Laguna Seca in a couple of weeks. And uh, we understand this is only a one-time offer at the moment. We don't know if this is going to continue. Of course, with World Superbike rounds being so sporadic for the next few months, he'll probably be able to combine this with his British Superbike commitments for now. Sure. Um, but when we get to September and both classes are back in full flow again, he may not be able to do this. So we, we wait and see whether um, another more permanent replacement is brought in at the Guandolini Yamaha team later on this year. But Kuba Smertz is in for Laguna Seca at the beginning of July. Um, now back into MotoGP then, and we're going to start with um, news of the MotoGP 17 video game, which was released this time last week. Um, it's available on PS4 and Xbox One, um, and we're lucky to be in the company of someone who has played it, um, because Dre, you own MotoGP 17. Um, we haven't had a chance to speak about this either on Motorsport 101 or on Bike Live yet, um, for, for various reasons, but... I get the impression, uh, I mean, I, I get the impression because I haven't been able to play it myself, given that I don't own an Xbox One or a PS4, um, but I get the impression that you're a fan of this. It's it's that bookie money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what can I say? The, the, the tips fund some nice stuff every once in a while. Um, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've, I've got Mono GP17. I picked it up last week. And it's, been, it's, it's been an expensive month for me, given <laughs> I picked up Tekken 7, the, the deluxe. For, that, that was 70 quid. For the, for the second seven deluxe edition, and then I got Dirt Four as well, which I've been so busy, it's still in the plastic. I've not even opened it yet. <laughs> I'm a terrible human being. Like I know I have a lot of friends in in, in the Cody's department that, that were really hoping I was going to pick up Dirt Four, and I picked it up, and I still haven't even opened it yet. I'm a terrible person. Like Christina, if you're listening, I'm really sorry. Okay. <laughs> You'll play but, eventually. Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll get around to it. I promise. It's it's, it's in the works. But um, no, I, I'm I'm a big fan of, of MotoGP 17. I think it's a great I think it's a great game from what I've played of it so far. Um, I've get I've just got I've got stuck into it really hardcore a couple of days ago, um, and yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Now, graphically, it's a lot nicer. The, the game's playing at 60 frames as opposed to 30 now, so it's a lot smoother to look at as well as opposed to being a bit blocky on occasion where the frame rate would drop in certain places. Like apparently Indianapolis had this knack of making the frame rate really slow down. I don't know what, I don't know what was up with it, but um, it's uh, it's a lot better where that's concerned. Technically the, the polish is nice. There's, there is a, there is a massive historical section of riders. I was going to ask about that because of course last yeah. year, last year's game was the Valentino Rossi video game, even though it was essentially MotoGP 16. Yes. Um, but it was, it was coated in the VR 46 dust to try and obviously increase sales. If, if nothing else, um, it, it was, it's like McDonald's fries. Yeah, like, that, it, it was like, how... it was like VR 46 had thrown up on it. Um, yeah. last year. Um, but this year, of course, the, the lot of the historical content last year was centred around Valentino himself, but I guess it's spread a little more broadly this time. It is indeed. Yeah, there's, 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 there is historical um, um, you know, riders and bikes from the 125 days, the 250 days, um, the 500cc days, and the four-stroke era of MotoGP in the mid to, mid to late 2000s and early 2010s as well so you've got like schwartz rainy freddie spencer um in the 500 section you've got like olivier jacques remember him from the 250 days and um some of the early valentino rossi bikes they've brought back in as well but also some 
some great bikes from the from the two thousand four stroke era as well, like Sete Gibanao's movie star on the like M Marco Melandri's two thousand and five bikers in there. I love Tony. I, I love video games that do this. Um, that that, yes. that sort of tap into the, the history of the sport because Formula One's finally starting mm. to do this this year, isn't it? With its new game, yeah. with some of the some of the great cars of the past that it's bringing in. Absolutely, and um, yeah, it's it's the same deal here. So there's more stuff as you got. Jorge Lorenzo's incredible record-breaking 2010 bike in there that had a 383-point season. Um, Mark Marquez's 2014 bike that won 13 Grand Prix in a season. Um, some of the, the some of the great Rossi bikes. We also like to think the 2008 uh, Rossi bike is in there. Yeah, Yamaha. Yeah, the, the Yamaha in there. The, the the legendary 2006 Nicky Hayden 69 Repsol Honda, which is I don't, I don't think I don't think that was on purpose. I think that was always on the plan, but um, yeah. even even more significant more now. Now, yeah. And uh, did yeah. you mention a, a Tony Elias bike in there as well? Yeah, the, the 2000. I, 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 I would hope it was going to be the 2006 it's bike. The Fortuna Honda. <laughs> it, yeah, it's the 2007 Fortuna Honda for some weird reason. And they've got a back when they've it got, finally started to tail off for him. <laughs> yeah, it's weird because they got they got like they got Casey Stone as 2012 Honda from his final season, but not his 2011 Honda that won the championship and. Hmm. 11 races that season so there's some there's some interesting curious, choice yeah, there. A bit, choices a bit, there. yeah a bit a bit of bit of left field stuff thrown in there for good measure but there's a lot of really cool bikes there there are dovi's 2010 repsol honda in there and pedrosa's 2007 bike is in there there's some there's some really fun choices in there so the historical content is great um the rider career is still there um that's still solid from the previous years but they've also got the new managerial career mode okay in, in there so you can now basically run your own fleet of up to six bikes in <laughs> in moto gp moto 2 and moto 3 so you can ride as yourself but you can also build it oh, entire... you, you can spread them across all three classes like might be the yes yeah, yeah, exactly. You, you can have you can have two riders per class, basically, and you can, and you're in charge of recruitment, so you can you, know, you can hire talent based on you know they'll, they'll tell you things on like scouting reports and potential. Right, it's like MotoGP meets Football Manager. I love it. Yeah, exactly. So there's a lot of that in there as well. You, you can you can you can choose your bike's development path. You can choose if you want to put invest more into things like maybe health and fitness. Um, your pit crew, race strategists. Um, you can obviously choose what bike you want to run. If you get enough reputation points and enough enough credits, you can choose to buy whatever bike you want for for a particular series, for instance. And uh, certain riders you can recruit have better specialized skills. Like some of them might be better as qualifiers. Some of them might be gonna, better. I was going to bring this up as well because it's almost like it almost sounds like they're employing a sort of FIFA style stats system system with yes. these riders. And yeah, um, am I right in saying from what you said on Twitter that in terms of stats, Monster GP's video game considers Valentino Rossi not the greatest rider in the world? <laughs> Yeah, like like I worked it out on points. Like on average, like it's, it's a one hundred point scale on four major areas. I think is body position, throttle management, um, braking, and cornering. Um, and on average points, Casey Stoner is the best rider in oh, history. Casey, I love that. Yeah, somewhere Rebecca James is smiling right now. <laughs> she listens to this show, knowing that they had Casey Stoner having better overall stats than not only peak Marquez, but also peak Valentino Rossi, which I thought was very interesting indeed. Um, but uh, it's a very interesting rating system. I might, I might get into that um, at some other point, maybe some nerdy thing I'll do on Twitter or something along the line. But um, yeah, like th there is stats. Like, they've carried that over from last year's game. There is a stat system. It's not quite as um, spread out as last year where they were rated on seven different aspects. It's now down to just four. 
But um, some very interesting stuff they're throwing in there. But overall, it's, it's a really, really solid game. If you haven't picked it up yet, um, do it. Like, because Milestone don't tend to charge £50 for their games a lot of the time. So you can probably get it for a decent price if you know where to find it. Yeah, I'm going um, to have to invest in a PS4 or an Xbox One at this stage. Yeah. So I, play I, mean, I mean, I've got, on, on Xbox 360, I've played uh, MotoGP 14. I don't think that was the last game on the... Uh, older gen of consoles. I think the 15 was still on Xbox 360, and then the Valentino Rossi game was the first on Xbox One only. Um, but um, but yeah, I, I do enjoy these kind of games, and I love how they, just in a very nerdy fashion, they almost love how they make it authentic right the way down to almost like the TV-style presentation with the TV yes. graphics and such. Like, I love that kind of thing. And yeah, how they, how they got... make it look like genuine, authentic, real-life MotoGP as much as they can. Um, yeah, and almost make you feel like you're you're genuinely involved in the experience. And yeah, I've got I've got to invest in a PS4 or an Xbox One at this stage, and not just to try and earn myself the trip to Valencia for the MotoGP esports championship, um, which is which really is only on PS4. Yeah, for only on PS4, unfortunately. <laughs> so uh, yeah, if you've got it on Xbox One, unfortunately, you cannot put yourself in the frame for that trip to Valencia. If you're on PS4, go for it. Um, because there is going to be a race at Valencia, which is going to be broadcast live, um, where someone can earn themselves a brand new BMW for their troubles, um, which is running towards the end of this year. Uh, but yeah, MotoGP 17, uh, go out and grab it now. If you haven't, go and get the console, which uh, means you can, which is probably what I'm going to do very, very soon. Um, but back to uh, real-life MotoGP then, and uh, Kyle Crutchlow, uh, who uh, will be featuring for many, many MotoGP video games to come, because he signed a two-year contract to stay in the class with LCR Honda. But the, the crucial thing here, Dre, is not that it's a two-year contract. It's a two-year contract with HRC, not LCR. Yes. Yeah, it's a, it's a Honda factory deal, the, the the beloved factory contract that every rider strives to earn these days. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a two-year extension. And I think it's, just, it's a great move for all parties because I didn't realize this at the time, but Honda really do value Cal Crutchlow as a rider, given that he Mark is a Marquez great... Marquez does in particular. He very much values yeah. the, the feedback that Cal gives on the bike. Yeah, like uh, Cal is extremely honest. We all know that. But he's also a great baseline um, for... A baseline setup guy for what, you know, what they're trying to aim for in MotoGP. Because, like, this... I mean, Danny Pedrosa is so small that he has, like, an entirely different setup and different, and, you know, a different philosophy of riding the bike in different setups because he because he's basically three stone lighter than Mar marquez crutchler were putting that out the other week that yeah there's a 22 kilo weight difference between the two of them which is which is basically three and a half stone more or less so it's a massive weight difference there so like pedros is not all that useful because he's got he's going to have different challenges riding a top bike compared to crutchler so crutchler is very useful in that regard as a baseline guy for honda and yeah i mean given that he did make a step forward last year in getting those two wins um, yeah, why not give him an extension? There's no one better really out there that screams to me, give him a Honda seat, right? Or give him a factory deal right now. So yeah, why not? Why not lock down Crutchlow in, in the last couple of years of his prime in his early thirties right now and see what you get because Cal has really stepped up the last year and a half or so. And he's very useful to Honda as a factory. So why not give him that deal? Give him a little bit more and see what he's got, you know? Yeah. Cal Crutchlow <laughs> will stay with LCR, but he will continue to receive some assistance from Honda. Uh, in the future, and it, it, as we've said in previous shows, it seems to be a deal that really just works for all parties, this one. Um, Cal Crutchlow, not only does he get to ride for LCR, but of course he will receive as he assists Honda, Honda will assist him with, with various factory parts as well uh, in the future. So Cal Crutchlow staying at LCR, no use yet on whether he'll have a teammate, and if so, who it'll be, although the strong money seems to suggest it will be Takaki Nakagami, um, but more news on that uh, on future episodes of Bike Live. Um, Intermoto 2, a news that has broken um, on day of recording, 
um, surrounding Moto2. Uh, and Peko Banyaya, um, who has been basically turning heads all through the season with his performances in his rookie Moto2 season. Um, um, so much so that in David Emmett's column this week on MotoMatters.com regarding Silly Season, he mentioned the fact that many, many MotoGP teams were taking a look at Peko Banyaya for next season. Um, well, it's almost like Sky VR46, Dre, were reading MotoMatters.com and have decided to tie Peko down for next year. Tie him up quick. Yeah. They're on to him. Um, yeah, it was like I, I read that column the S last night to my brother and he was just sitting there going like, like, one team manager actually said that like he looked like he sighed despondently and looked into the distance like that was the guy he wanted in his team at some point, um, which says a lot about you know just how far Pico has come in the last year and a half where he was you know seemingly really digging deep for Mahindra in Moto Three and now he's had a couple of really great performances in Moto Two as well and I think it's a very I think it's a very sensible move from Pecco Banyai to stick around for another yeah, year. Why rush it? Why rush it? He's, he's not in a hurry. He's still only, he's still only 20 years old. Um, he's had a very good start to his Moto2 career. There's clearly something there with Peko in his talent. Um, and I'd say wait and see as, as to whether, you know, Valentino Rossi really does go forward and runs a MotoGP team in the future. And if that happens, you'd think Peko Benyaya would be the number one guy to headline that new team. So... Mm. Why not stick around and see what happens in a year and a, or in, a, in a year's time or maybe two years time and see if Valentino Rossi really does go for? It. I mean, we already know that Esperalto wants Rossi's team on the grid. I mean, I mean, think of the branding opportunities there. Yeah, and it looks like uh, that's going to happen as soon as Valentino <laughs> stops racing. He's going to go straight into team management and basically his his involvement in MotoGP will remain, but yeah. in a different capacity. Um, so at the moment, Valentino Rossi's current contract runs to the end of 2018, the end of next year, and we don't know yet whether he will continue. Um, there's no reason at the moment. If he's as competitive he is right now, he may well continue. Um, but if he's decided he's had enough at the age of 40, um, then there's perhaps going to be a VR46 MotoGP team in 2019, which may well uh, have a spot waiting for Banyaya. So I think it's, it's a good position for him to make sure he's A, available come 2019, but also, you know, probably stay in Moto2, don't rush it, don't go into MotoGP too early and potentially damage uh, your career by going up when you're not ready. Um, and hey, if Morbidelli and Marquez move up, as they both look possible to do next year, there's no reason why Banyaya couldn't be a title threat next season in Moto2. So he's, he's, I think he's taking a smart decision by just sticking around. And as I say, Sky VR46 have probably been reading the rumour mill and decided that we need to keep this guy in our house um, before someone else takes him into theirs. Um, into Moto3, and um, another rider staying put, not just in his team, but in his class, is Aaron Canet. And this one's a little more strange, this one, Dre. He's staying with the Shula Galicia for next season, which means that Aaron Canet will be in Moto3 in 2018, and there's still a possibility he might be going into it as defending champion. Yeah, like, it, it's, it's. I mean, Joanne Mir is comfortable favourite right now to win that title, but Aaron Canet's not a million miles away. He's he's having a breakthrough season right now in Moto3. He's looking like a guy that can, you know, he's, he got his first win earlier this season. He's looking a lot better than he did last season already. He's shown real improvements, and... You'd think he'd be a prime contender for a Moto2 seat next year, moving up like guys like Jorge Navarro did last season and whatnot. But he's sticking around for a year. That's a strange decision to me. I mean, I thought I thought N.A. Abastini should have moved up last season, but didn't. And now we're seeing Canet moving up and didn't. And if Canet goes on to win the title, he'll be there to defend it next year, which is... Really just not the point of Moto3. You want to get out of that class as soon as possible. You don't want to be a Jakob Kornfile or a John McPhee. It just spins their wheels in that class forever. So 
yeah, I'm a positive one from Kanye on this one. I think he's a sort of guy that a Moto T team would probably want to have under their wing right now. So, um, given that um, other guys have struggled um, in Moto T right now, you think Kanye might be a, might be someone a team might take a chance on, but nope, sticking around for another year. Bit of a positive on that. Yeah, he's he'll certainly be among the favourites for next year's title, whether he, whether he wins this year's or not, won't he, Kanye? And I guess one thing he does have, he he does have time on his side, much like Banyaya, in that he's. You know, he's only 17 at the moment, is Aaron Kane. He doesn't turn 18 until the 30th of September. Um, so he's still a very young rider. He's also a very short rider. Um, based on the official information from MotoGP.com, he's not even six foot tall. He's, he's, he's a good sort of three, four inches short um, of six foot. So it's not like he's going to outgrow the Moto3 bike next season, next season. So he'll still be in a good position to be competitive if he's still in the class. But you just wonder whether uh, if, he, if he's too good for that class, just get out of there and move up. Rather than, you know, if he wins this championship, it almost feels like a wasted year, doesn't it, next year Absolutely. Um, in Moto3. So um, we'll see what happens. He's, he's got to go some at the moment to catch Joao Mir anyway um, in Moto3. But um, we do know that Mia will be in Moto2 next year. Kanit will be in Moto3. And Mia, of course, has a three-year deal uh, with Mark BDS with uh, their Moto2 squad, which will presumably mean that in one of those three years, perhaps the third year, which will be 2020, he will be in to MotoGP with that Mark BDS team. Um, let's look ahead then to this weekend's Dutch TT and Assen, which will have special significance for Mark BDS. Of course, they won this Grand Prix last year um, with Jack Miller. Um, now, the bookies have learnt from this one, Dre. They're not going to offer the 1,000 to 1 on Jack Miller again. Um, no. based on his success oh this year you're, uh, you can get as good as 33 to 1 um, on Jack Miller and that's pretty much as high as it'll go um, given his uh, his pedigree around there in the wet we're not expecting it to be wet this weekend we're expecting it to be dry um, which means that well this is the dangerous point where we're going to try and predict a MotoGP race but um, your your instinct tells you that if it's a dry MotoGP race at Assen, Valentina Rossi and Mark Marquez will be somewhere near the front yeah, like, like that—that's what we got a couple of years ago. The last time we had a dry race here, it was Marquez versus Rossi, literally to the final corner and gravel trap. Um, so, um, yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting one, that's for sure. Um, if it stays dry, I mean, where's Vinales going to play into this? And um, he's had a couple, he's had a couple of sloppy rounds, but he's, we all know he's got the ultimate pace that maybe Valentino Rossi doesn't quite have at this stage in his career. So. There's 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 a lot of there's a lot of little puzzling paths that are going into this weekend and like this the, the bookies kind of say it all given that the favourite Mark Marquez is eleven to four right now and that's far from a from a big price um as a for, for a MotoGP favourite that's a that's a pretty big price so yeah I mean right now it's looking like nobody really knows for sure what's going on on this one so I think we're gonna read it into practice maybe and go from there but. At the moment, it's uh, it's anyone's guess if you ask me, but I, I do think they're on the right lines going with Marquez and Rossi as the two favourites. I think Rossi is a pretty good price at 100 to 30, if you ask me. Yeah, <laughs> in terms of in terms of his stronger circuits these days, in the dry, Assen is probably in Valentino Rossi's top three. Uh, yeah, that's the circuits that he goes well at alongside possibly, well, certainly Mugello and arguably Philip Island as well. He historically goes well at. Um, you know, Valentino, in, since he's returned to Yamaha, he's won both dry Assen races. Um, 2013 and 2015 um, was pretty strong in 2014 in the wet. Had to come from too far back in a flag-to-flag race and probably would have won last year had he not thrown it at the scenery in the wet. Um, although many, many riders could probably say that about last year's race. Davizioso and Crutchlow among them as well, who probably could have won last year's had they not crashed out. Um, but 
you kind of feel he's got to win it, don't you, this weekend, Dre? Given that he's not only he's fifth of the five championship contenders uh, in the points, but with with circuits to come like Saxon which historically suits Hondas, and Austria, which suits Ducatis, um, you kind of wonder from a Valentino point of view, now that he's fully fit, of course, given the injury that's hurt him in the last couple of rounds, if he doesn't win at Assen, where's he going to win? Exactly. And I, I had a couple of mates about this GP Bry. Um, a, good, a good friend of mine we had a good chat with him about this the other day. And we both said the same thing. He's not going to win a championship just racking up podiums anymore. It didn't work in 2015. And that was a season where he won four races. And Rossi's not had a season like that since. Like I've said it before. Rossi needs to win five or six, realistically, to really have a shot at this title. Probably not quite as many as that this year because it is genuinely more competitive than it's yeah, been there are, in. There are five peps in there. I think if he, I think he yeah. needs to win at least four. Yeah, I think four is ideal. But where's the four going to come from? Because mm. I think Vinales naturally is a bit quicker than him right now. Yeah, and It's if, got to start here, hasn't it? Yeah, it's got to start here because I think Vinales is, is faster on his day than Rossi is. I think Marquez is still going to win four or five rounds a year, whatever happens, because he's Mark Marquez. Pedros has already had a race win this season, and Ducati's stolen two with Dovi, and there's probably a third coming for him in Austria, most likely, if Lorenzo's still trying to get used to that Ducati in the first place. But Dovi all of a sudden has emerged as a true threat, and you've got to remember, if it starts raining, he'll be in play for those as well. So... Um, it's it, it's not going to be straightforward for Valentino going back here. Like, I don't know where the four wins are going to come from. He needs, again, I reckon at least four, like you say. And if, if this isn't one of them, then I might chalk Rossi off my board for guys who can win the title because he needs races like this. He's not going He's not going to win this championship finishing third or fourth every single round. It's just no. not going to happen. No, you look, uh, at, you look at certain riders and you, say, look at, you look at things like uh, the Circuit of the Americas and you say that's a Marquez round. Um, you look at certain other races like we've already seen this season. Le Mans um, is a Vinales round. He's always gone well there, even before arriving in GP because he was a podium man on Suzuki. Acid is certainly a Rossi round. Um, in terms of history, he's going for his 10th win there across all classes, um, which is an astonishing record. And um, this is just a circuit. Even in his worst years, he tends to go well here. Um, so, yeah, he's, his winning run, if, it, if there's going to be a winning run, it's got to start here. I mean, if I, if I was going to put money anywhere, it would probably, my instinct would be to put it on Rossi. Um, just n Not just because he historically goes well here, but also you kind of think, well, he's got to be due one. A rider of his class doesn't tend to go over a year without a win. Um, so you kind of think he's going to break that run at some stage. Um, and Assen is probably as good a chance as any. But the five championship contenders that we have at the moment, they've kind of all got stories around them going to this weekend. Um, not least Maverick Vinales, who's got some confidence to rebuild, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, that was the telling theme, really, from not just Mugello. But Mugello was a decent weekend for the title. Vinales seemed to be relatively happy with the second place. But the tenth place finish he had at, at Catalonia, where he looked at the rear tire and you know wasn't confident, he seemed a, little bit, a bit more petulant in the pit lane. That you know frustrated that this this weekend just wasn't going his way at any point really. Yeah, I, maybe Vinales has got a bit of confidence to, to try and claw back after you know a, a dream start, but all of a sudden his championship lead is under threat from a Ducati of all things. But yeah, like I said, like, like, like I said all of a sudden, Dobby's the man in form. Marquez had a hell of a second place given the weekend he had at Catalonia. Pedrosa's not going anywhere. And Valentino is Valentino. So, you know, all of a sudden, like, he, he can't take his foot off the gas because the rest of the field is so close right now that 
a couple of bad rounds will really shake up this championship right now. And as far as the Honda riders are concerned, I mean, this isn't necessarily a, a Honda circuit on paper. It certainly strikes with the fast-flowing corners as a circuit the Yamaha will go well at. But Assen is, if nothing else, a rider's circuit. So yes. even if perhaps the Honda doesn't work around Assen, Marquez and Pedroza will both fancy their chances of being able to make it fit. Certainly Marquez. Absolutely. Marquez, we all know Marquez has got relentless speed um, around here. And again, he very nearly pushed Valentino Rossi into a win at Aston a couple of years ago. Um, and yeah, like that's that's exactly how it is with, with, with him. And Marquez is going to go into this round thinking, hey, if I've got a decent biker, I can win this thing. And we'll have to wait and see how the tyres play because the tyres are going to play such a dramatic role in this weekend. Like, I've been, like they have in every weekend so far this season, really. But um, if Marquez get, can, can, get a, can get a top two here, he's right back in the title hunt again. So, yeah, like there's, there's a lot for Marquez riding on this one as well. And this is a better round for him than it is in, on other occasions. So definitely one to keep an eye on. Mm. And, of course, the fifth uh, championship contender. He's not fifth in the points. He's second at the moment. And um, a question that I never even dreamt I'd be asking at any stage of Bike Live this season. But, Dre, dare we dream of a Dovi Ducati hat trick? Jesus, um, you're right. This is something. This, this is unthinkable. Like this is like this is something I never thought was like. Like Dovi has never won back to back races in his career in any class, and now he's going into Aston, the man in form, with a real shot at a hat trick. Um, oh, pole man last year. Pole, yeah, he was on pole last year as well. Ducati's fast around here. If it, if it's if it's got race pace, then look out. Like um, Dovi could definitely be one to keep an eye on for sure. So yeah, I think there's a shot here, folks. I mean. Right now, I think Dovi would gladly take a podium finish more than anything else, just, just to keep himself in, in the mix more than anything else because he's been so good so far this season. But, uh, yeah, I think there's a chance. There's definitely a chance. Mm, absolutely. And if it happens, then Dovi could well leave Assen as the MotoGP Championship leader. Um, and it's astonishing the runner form he's been on. Of course, he, he took a in his first 150 MotoGP races, he's only won one of them. Um, and he's now won three out of the last eight, if you go back to the end of last season and his win at Sepang. Um, which is incredible. The form he's in at the moment, Andrea Davizioso, um, you cannot rule it out because in previous years, Ducati have tended to go reasonably well at Assen. Um, Davizioso was second to Marquez in the flag-to-flag race a few years ago, 2015, uh, 2014, should I say. Marquez's string of 10 wins to start the season, one of those was at Assen when Dobby was second. And as I say, he was pole last year um, in ah. the mixed conditions. So um, what may well swing this towards Yamaha this weekend <laughs> is that um, temperatures are expected to be a lot cooler um, at Assen yes. uh, than perhaps they were in Barcelona and Mugello and Le Mans. So tyres aren't expected to be quite as critical. It's not expected to be a tyre conservation race as perhaps it was in Barcelona, which may lead to Yamaha figuring a little better. Yamaha don't seem to have that sort of longevity and that tyre that left at the end of a race at the moment. Um, so the conditions at Assen may suit Yamaha a little better. Of course, if any spots of rainfall, then it all swings towards Ducati, and it's going to be fascinating to watch. One thing we do know, though, Dre at Assen, not just in MotoGP, but all three classes, Assen always delivers great races. It's much like Mugello. It is one of those classic circuits which always delivers fantastic racing. And uh, MotoGP.com this week have done a brilliant job of making some of those classic finishes available free to watch on its uh, MotoGP video pass page, um, including the 2006 finale, where, of course, it went down to the final game between Hayden and Edwards. Hayden Edwards, no! In the Edwards coming closer than he ever came to winning a MotoGP race and of course the 2015 final chicane shootout between Rossi and Marquez if we have any kind of group fighting for the front at the MotoGP final lap this weekend that chicane oh, yeah. at the end is going to be something special to watch 
Absolutely. Yeah, we cannot wait for it. MotoGP this weekend. Of course, it's a slightly different order this weekend. Moto3 gets us underway on Sunday. MotoGP, which, from what I gather, is an hour earlier in the day than normal. Um, the MotoGP yeah. race is at mid midday UK time on Sunday. Um, I'm not sure for the reasons for that. Part of me thinks it's to try and dodge the uh, Azerbaijan Grand Prix that's taking place in Formula 1 this weekend. Yes. And perhaps to make sure that the MotoGP is well over and done with before the Formula 1 starts. Um, Moto2, you're screwed, sadly, because you're taking place after MotoGP. Um, that's going to be at half one on the Sunday afternoon. Um, so slightly rejigged order for the three races this weekend. Um, yeah, Moto3 at Aston is usually something special as well. So keep an eye out for that at 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Um, all three races, as I say, at Aston always tend to produce something special. We will be back next week to review the three Grand Prix that take place at the Dutch TT uh, at Aston. Um, it's sure to be something special as well as that episode 92 um, of Motorsport 101. Um Baku um, is the centre of attention. Not only that, but um, the return of Andre Harrison to Motorsport 101. Um, Dre, um, we we say this cautiously because we said this as well last week, but you're plotting your comeback after two weeks away for episode 92. Yes, there'll be a knife sticking out of Ryan's King's neck by the end of hour one. Um, yes, I, I am back to reclaim my throne uh, as head honcho of Motorsport 101, like I've never missed two weeks in a row on this on this podcast. I was livid <laughs> finding out that I wasn't going to be on this week's episode and, and to talk to talk about the, the craziness of Le Mans and the the hand gesture scene around the world that robbed the Toyota Seven of a shot at winning. But um, yeah, it's going to be a loaded weekend. We got again, we got Formula One at Baku, we got MotoGP at and we got IndyCar at Road America this weekend as well. I'm really looking forward to that one. My favorite round on the calendar, so I'm really looking forward to that as well. So um, yeah, so F1 at Baku, which is bound to have some headlines going away from that one. IndyCar Road America and me, I'm back. Mm. <laughs> Made a good Lord help us all. Episode 92 of Motorsport 101, most likely sometime next week. Yes, uh, Baku welcomes Formula One once again, and boy did they welcome us last year. Um, yes. for its, its debut Formula 1 race and Motorsport 101 welcomes Dre back episode 92 uh, towards the end of next week uh, episode 91 uh, went live yesterday as you listen to this um, so if you haven't um, checked out uh, the second week of the Coalition of Chaos uh, on Motorsport 101 uh, make sure you do check it out uh, motorsport101.net um, for both of our uh, weekly shows and for a full back catalogue of all the episodes uh, and you can subscribe on SoundCloud as well and on iTunes um, to Motorsport 101 which will earn you um, regular editions of both Bike Live and Motorsport 101. Um, elsewhere, you can find us on Facebook, as I mentioned, facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We are on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. Um, we are on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Check out Dre's Dre Brief surrounding Andrea Dovizioso, um, which is on there right now. Uh, Motorsport101.net is our website where you can find RJ's brand new column and, as I say, each of our weekly shows, Motorsport 101 and Bike Live. We will return next week to review the Dutch TT. Until then, from the two of us, it's bye-bye.